Hello there, welcome to MMA Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny Galarza. Today we're breaking down the full card for Bellator 272, Pettis vs. Hadaguchi, coming up on Friday the 3rd of December with a 7 p.m. Eastern start time. There's 12 total bouts in the card. We've got four fights in the main card. We'll go over each fight as usual, one fight at a time. We'll start with the prelims, work our way all the way up, then eventually go through the main card. Give you our favorite picks to win each fight, discuss some prop bets. Most importantly, dig into the background of these fighters, give you some background information, talk about their fighter history, high school background, any athletic background family members, and so on and so on, to give as much knowledge as possible to shape your bets here. There's some close fights in this card. You've got a title fight in the main event there with Pettis and Haraguchi. Again, we'll go one fight at a time. Thanks for joining us. As usual, we put all the links in the description there for prior fights of the fighters we're talking about today. Now, that's a lot of links. It took us a lot of time. Enjoy it. Enjoy the fighter library. Go to the links in the description. Look at the fights on your, on your own. See what you think. See what you can decipher. Maybe we disagree on some things, right? Come back, comment. Let me know where I'm wrong, where I'm right. If we're right and you're catching some winning tickets based on our advice, come on back here. Hooray and holler and parade with us. Anyway, let's jump into the first fight of the night. Here we go. All right, so up next, we got a lightweight bout between Dan Moret from Minnesota and Ricardo Sexes from Brazil, but now currently out of Huntington Beach, California. And yes, the last name is a little bit tricky there. I don't know that's Sexes, 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 but it sounds like Sexes. So Mr. Ricardo Sexes, who goes by Sasquatch, is 9-3 and three overall. He's 2-3 and three in his last five fights, 31 years old, 5'8", height of 73 and a half inch reach. He's out of Kings MMA, so very good gym. As for Dan Moret, who goes by the Hitman, he's 15-6 and six overall, also 2-3 and three in his last five fights. He's from Mancota, Minnesota. He's 35 years old, 6' in height with 72 and a half inch reach. He's out of Fight Ready Gym. He's out of Fight Ready MMA. So both of these guys are out of very good gyms. Uh, size, a few inches there for Dan Moret, about 3 inches uh, to be exact for height. And for a reach advantage, got a slight advantage there for sexes. Now... According to Tapology, it looks like Moret's getting most of the votes here. 95% of the votes coming in here are for Moret. I agree. Um, I think that this is, well, I don't think. It is one of my most confident plays in the entire card. Unfortunately, the money line you know, precludes you from doing too much with this. At minus 300 right now, Dan Moret is the bona fide favorite. Um, he should win this fight three times, you know, three out of you know four fights. So that three to one favorite type of thing makes sense here. Um, it should be mentioned that Ricardo Sexus is a replacement here. Not a late last minute replacement, but he is a replacement um, in this fight. Um, watch the film on these good two guys. The links are in the description as usual. Kind of do your own breakdown. What you're going to notice here right away about Ricardo Sexus is he is Brazilian, right? Um, but he's built more like, I, I hate to say it, I, I'm lacking the, the right words to describe it. He looks like a WWE wrestler. Like he's thick, um, maybe too thick. Maybe he could even lose some weight. Um, but a strong looking fighter. So then he's very robotic with his movements. Um, he's not very athletic, not very flexible. Head movement is, is, is not there. Um, he blocks punches with his face. <laughs> um, so his stand-up game is limited. A slow striker, slow everything. Um, he looked to me in the most recent fight that I watched of his. I watched a fight of his versus Aguilera in 2018. That links in the description. It looked like he already had a concussion before that fight started. What I mean by that is like the look on his face. And he looked slow. He looked like he was slow to react to punches. Um, he was just, you know, he just was slow. Um, and you're looking at a guy like Chris, you know, Chris, Christian Aguilera, who he's a decent fighter, um, but he's, you know, he's not amazing. But in that fight, Ricardo Sexus made him look amazing. Ricardo Sexus takes an uppercut, like a video game uppercut, that lays him out one punch. It was a terrible knockout. And again, who was it from? It's from a guy who, yes, he's in the UFC right now, Aguilera, who's struggling in the UFC. But, I mean, he made Aguilera look like the best thing on the block, okay? And that's a little bit concerning when you know that Aguilera is a decent fighter, but he's not, you know, he's not that. Um, 
So for Sexes, he went 8-0 and in the regional scene down there in, in Brazil. Starts his career off 8-0. and Things are looking well. Then he runs into Christian Aguilera in LFA. Gets completely mollywhopped with a right with a right hand uppercut in round two. He follows that up with a round one loss to Jacob Rosales. Now, I love me some Jacob Rosales. I like his story. I've been trying to actually get an interview with him recently. Um, he's been a Dana White Contender Series participant twice and did not get a contract at the time and lost both times. So um, that's the kind of level of people that Ricardo Sexes is losing against. He lost his last fight to Mandel Nalo. Again, Superman punch round one got finished. Okay, so his last three losses, he's been finished by Rosales, Aguilera, and Nalo. Um, he looks like he has a concussion before the fight starts. I, I know I'm being silly, but he looks like he's already concussed. The look on his face, the slow reaction. You know, dare I say maybe he suffered some concussions years ago and just really hasn't recovered. Or maybe he just always looks like that. Um, his last win against Dominic Clark in 2020. So he's like one in, four, one in three in his last four fights. Okay, that's not a great thing for Sexes. He's lost three of his last four fights. His last win against Dominic Clark, that's a guy who's 15 and 11. A guy with no Bellator experience, with no UFC experience. And of course, he beats that guy. He gets a round one, you know, TKO finish. So I guess it's decent. You know, he gets a win. Um, it is a Bellator fight, you know, so he's one and one in Bellator. Um, but yeah, just a ton of flags here for me on Ricardo Sexes. I feel as if here's a guy who is just a fill-in. Um, he's a guy who's just here for the moment. Um, a guy who's going to just be available as a can for anybody to beat up on. Um, and I hate to say it, but it just looks like that. And God help me, it just seems as if he maybe has had some concussions and hasn't recovered from them. Um, some personal information about Sexist, he likes to wrestle, okay? That's his path to victory. He's not a very good striker. Um, he's not proficient in his combinations, kicking or nothing like that. So for him, he's trying to wrestle the fight, make it ugly, get it to the ground, okay? He, he'll, he will welcome the fight on the ground. For some, some positives here on Sexist, he does train at Kings MMA. It is a good gym. Quality partners, quality coaches, good camp. His losses have been decent level losses. I went over some of them, but like Christian Aguilera, he is in the UFC. Okay, Jacob Rosales did take part in Dana White Contender Series twice. Um, Nalo. Nalo is a hot prospect from Canada who's 8-1. So um, he's coming off of a win. All right, he had a win back in August in LXF versus Mike Siogar, I mean, Sugara. Now, Sugara is 9-7 overall. So again, you know, not to poo-poo on that win, but he beat a guy in LXF who's 9-7. Now, some of the, again, the issues here with Sox, as we talked about, he's got a losing streak right now. He's lost three of his last four fights. The quality of his wins, ugh, as we talked about, not great. That last knockout that I discussed against Aguilera was bad, and he has been finished in three of his last four fights, so he's showing some issues with the chin. Now, on for Dan, from, as for Dan Moret, I can go on and on why I like Dan Moret to win the fight. I'm going to try to make this concise as I can here. He's 1-0 in Bellator. He started his career off 6-0 and before losing to Luke Sanders, okay? Luke Sanders is now in, you know, UFC. He's got quality, quality losses in his career. And I know losses are losses. There's no moral victories. But listen to these names he's lost to, okay? And he lost to these guys, like, before some of them got into the UFC, which is interesting, interesting, right? So he lost to Luke Sanders, UFC. Bobby Moffitt, UFC. Ronnie Barcelos, UFC. Gilbert Burns, UFC. Alex White, UFC. Jared Gordon, UFC. So every one of the guys that he has lost to, all of the losses he has are against guys that are either in currently in the UFC or have been prior fighters in the UFC. So he's on a two-fight winning streak. After losing three fights in a row in the UFC, losing his contract, he bounces back with two fights in a row that he's won. Um, he went the distance against Jared Gordon in 2019. Jared Gordon is a tough mother, you know what, okay? So going the distance with that guy in 2019, it's just two years ago, shows durability, you know, shows smarts. He could survive with a guy who's in the UFC and doing pretty good. He's at fight ready. So we talked about that as well in terms of the gyms. Good training partners, good coaching, good camp, all right? He's comfortable on his feet, and that is a big difference in this fight. 
when you look at the film and these guys, watch the Gilbert Burns fight, okay? He actually clips Gilbert Burns. Yeah, and that's this, uh, whatever. It's Gilbert Burns. But the point is, we'd all agree Gilbert Burns is a bona fide UFC-level contender. In that fight, Dan Moret clips Gilbert Burns. He hurts him in round one. Um, you could see that he's comfortable on his feet. He could do some kicking. He could do some boxing. If this fight stays on the feet, he's going to completely chew apart and probably knock out Ricardo Sexus at some point. Sexus has to take the fight to the ground. That's his only path to victory. But when you look at Moret fight, he could fight on the ground and on his feet. In terms of the negatives on Moret, I couldn't find a lot. I mean, he did go open three in the UFC, but that's sort of a positive. When you look at the reality, he's fighting a guy who's never fought a person of that caliber. Now, this is probably the biggest negative I would point out on Dan Moret. And this is more like a mental thing. He's 35 years old. It's now or never, right? This is clearly a now or never moment, okay? It's not like he's fighting the best competition or it's for a belt. But he could not afford a loss, right? You know, he's got to stay on a winning track. He's got to keep padding his record and get back to a situation where he can contend for a title, maybe get a chance to go back into UFC. So at 35 years old, you know, four years or so of a window to get a few more fights in to make a move, that pressure has got to be on him. That pressure could do two things. Either one, motivate him to do really well and have a great training camp and, you know, be on point. Or two, it has him on eggshells. He goes out there, changes his approach, makes some mistakes, gets clipped with a punch, and it's just in the back of his mind and it forces him to have a bad training camp. So with all that said, I think we open up here with a win here for, for Dan Moret, the American fighter. I like him to win. And in terms of my favorites on the prelim card, he's one of my three favorites, him, Lugo, and Kamaka. I like those three fighters a lot to win in the respective fights on the prelim card. So again, I like Dan Moret to win this fight. Next fight up is going to be a welterweight bout between the American Kyle Kruchmacher and Olivier Enkamp from Sweden. Enkamp is 10-2 overall. He hails from Stockholm, Sweden, 30 years old, 3-2 in his last five fights. Six foot in height with 77 inch reach. He's from Pancras Gym in Sweden. As for Kyle Kruchmer, he's 71 overall, 4 1 in his last five fights. He's from California, 28 years old, 5 foot 9 in height with 68 inch reach. He's out of a gym called AKA, uh, American Kickboxing Academy. You may have heard of it. Uh, Kamara Usman and his, uh, I'm sorry, not Kamara Usman, uh, Khabib Namagamedov and some of his clan members uh, train over there. So, anyway, uh, good training program for Kruchmer. And as for NCAMP, uh, Pancras Gym in Sweden, it's a pretty good program as well. Now, according to Tapology here, Looks like Kruchmer is getting only 19% of the votes. I'm surprised. He's the stateside fighter, had a very good NCAA college wrestling career, and kept getting 81% of the votes. So we'll talk here more about this. Now, according to the money line, it's more of a pick em, Okay, so on the money line right now, Kruchmer is a slight favorite at minus 135. I'll leave your NCAMP, get him at plus 105. So if you like NCAMP, you're one of those people voting on Tapology, then get NCAMP now at plus 105 or pretty much even money. Um, let's talk here about the fighter's pros and cons. For Kruchmer, He's 3-1 in Bellator, okay? His only loss was against Cameron Lechnovov. And uh, Lechnovov is 10-3 overall, pretty good fighter. He's 5-1 in Bellator, so not a terrible loss there, and that was by decision. He did have a solid win in his last fight against Levon Chokeli, uh, who's also on this card. Um, Chokeli was undefeated at that point, okay? So that was a nice win there uh, for Kruchmer. Now, Kruchmer started his career 6-0. He's not undefeated anymore, but the fact that he started off 6-0 is a good start to his pro career, you know, shows he knows how to win. I mentioned he's a former college wrestler. Now, he didn't just wrestle in college. Like, he was recruited to some top-level college, went to Oklahoma State, multiple-time All-American. His brother was also wrestling at Oklahoma State with him, multiple-time state champion in wrestling, two-sport athlete in high school, helped lead his high school football team to you know state title appearances. Um, so the guy's got athletics in his genes. It's in his family. His brother wrestled as well. And again, was a, an accomplished wrestler at both high school and wrestling. Um, I got to tell you, I always favor the wrestling guys, you know, maybe call me a homer, but, you know, North American, U.S. wrestlers, um, I probably have a hard time breaking this fight down without being a little biased towards 
the wrestler. So I do like that part about Kruchmer. He's been wrestling since you know middle school, elementary school, very young age. And so here's a guy with a lot of experience, a lot of mat time. Now on the flip side here, it's not like his opponent doesn't have mat time either or didn't have a long history with mixed martial arts. He did start mixed martial arts as a teenager. So we'll talk more about um, NCAP here in a second. Now, some some, pos- some those are the positives on Kruchmer. So the negatives on Kruchmer, quality of opponents, right? And that's not totally his fault because he's at the start of his career in some ways here. But he hasn't really been tested. He hasn't really fought many people. Maybe Chokelly was his best opponent to date. Okay, so and that that guy's not a top level opponent by any means. He's got very short arms. Um, I mentioned this for two reasons. One, as a wrestler, it's not a big problem here for Kruchmer in the clinch and the grappling situations, body locks. It's maybe even a little bit of a benefit for him to have that leverage, have those short arms, right? If he comes across a really good level striker, an elite level striker with a long reach, long kicking game, kickboxer, that could be the demise of him. In this fight here against Endcamp, I'm not I'm not seeing he's facing like an elite level striker, but the point is he does have very short arms. That also lends towards why his boxing game is not great. Now that's that's in two parts. One, he does have short arms, so it's hard for him to land a jab consistently. Secondly, um, he's got a wrestling background. Those guys who tend to have a wrestling background or a BJJ background. You know, those guys don't tend to be elite level strikers or boxers. Um, now, some guys can learn over the years and get better at it. But just saying overall, he tends to have that boxing style of a guy who was a wrestler, right? Um, his finishing ability, definitely in question. You know, four of his last five fights have gone to decisions. So he has some decisions. I mean, he has some finishes earlier on in his career. Now that's slowing down. So you kind of wonder, is that just fluky? Opponents are getting higher level. Um you know, does he not have good strong hands or strong power in his hands? Not really sure. Now, as for looking at the other side here, Olivier Encamp. Okay, so Olivier Encamp, some information about this guy. He has sparred with people like Dominic Cruz, Rory McDonald, and George St. Pierre. Yeah, he's actually sparred with those guys, trained with some top-level guys. He got selected to Ultimate Fighter back in season 22, but he actually declined the offer and passed it, passed it up. He's born in Stockholm, Sweden, or born just north of Stockholm, Sweden. So he's from that part of the country. He's trained in karate, Thai boxing, kickboxing, Sancho, grappling, shoot fighting, and mixed martial arts. And he's been doing some level of martial arts competing since he was a teenager. Okay, so he's got a decent background. Some other things about Olivier Enkamp. He's from the UFC. He was 0-2 in the UFC, but still he was a former UFC fighter. He's 3-0 in Bellator. And only 3-0 in his last three fights in Bellator, he's got three straight finishes. So that's very nice to see as well. Excellent training in his background again. So he's been on the mat, trained with some top-level guys, has experience in good camps. Now, here's the, here's the cons for this fighter, though. Low level of competition, competition, right? So his first three Bellator fights, he's got finishes, but these guys are just... They're just barely guys to fill in, okay? He's 30 years old. Here's a guy who has all the connections throughout the, the mixed martial arts world. He's you know, got connections with, obviously, guys like George St. Pierre and guys like Rory McDonald. And he's been in training camps and been a sparring partner. And at 30 years old, 0-2 to the UFC, it just seems to me like here he is. This is like, this is it for him. Like, he either gets on a winning streak, gets his way back to the top of the Bellator division, or works his way back into UFC, or it might be over. It's not as if he can't pick up the phone and call someone. He's got the connections. He knows the people in the business. So that concerns me a little bit. It's almost like, all right, if you've got those connections and you know everyone, everyone knows you, then what's wrong with you? (laughs) Are you just not that good of a talent? Um, So, you know, here's a guy who's been around the mixed martial arts scene for a very long time. He's trained under some very high-level, you know, coaches. Um, You know, he's he's got connections to people like, for example, Conor McGregor. So my point is, again, at 30 years old, he's in his peak years, he needs to do something special here. Um, I think in this fight, he's going to have a hard time with with Kyle Kritchmer's wrestling. That's just going to be it. 
Christopher's going to wrestle him. He's going to push him against the cage and ugly the fight up and use those techniques to get himself ground and pound shots, ground and pound opportunities, and also not just ground and pound, but also just position control on the ground. Not sure if a finish happens here. I mean, again, Kyle Critchmer's not showing to have very high finish rate recently. But at minus 135, it's not the most confidence play in the card, but I'm pretty confident on it. Um, I will definitely take at least a, some kind of a sprinkler or a dash on this fight here with Kyle Critchmer straight up. Not that I'm feeling so comfortable that I want to parlay Critchmer with anybody, but I like him. If you like Olivier in camp, you know, please post some comments, respond. Maybe you know more about this fighter than I've been able to uncover. Decent fighter, good range, you know, long arms. Um, he's going to have a significant reach advantage here over Kretschmer. But is he going to be small? I mean, sorry, smaller. Stronger than Kretschmer in the clinch? Is he going to be stronger than Kretschmer when it comes to, like, body lock position against the fence? Don't see it happening. I think the American wrestler comes in here, wins this fight by points by decision. I like Kyle Kretschmer. Next up, we've got a featherweight bout between two American fighters, Kai Kamaka III and John DeJesus. Kamaka's from Hawaii. DeJesus is from Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania. Now, DeJesus is 14-9 overall, 4-1 his last five fights, 31 years old, 5'9 in height with 76-inch reach. He's out of the Academy of Pittsburgh. As for Kai Kamaka III, he's out of 808 Factory, according to Tapology, but that's not located in Las Vegas, where he's now residing out of. So I have to imagine he's training at like Syndicate or some other club in Las Vegas. Um, according to Instagram... He's partnered up in training with a variety of top-level guys, so I'm not sure if he's just doing camp at multiple gyms, but hes I don't think he's no longer at 808 Fight Factory, which is based in Hawaii. So anyway, Kamaka's 8-4-1 overall. He's 2-2-1 his last five fights. He's specifically from Pearl City, Hawaii, 26 years old, 5'7", high with 69-inch reach. So reach-wise, De Jesus is going to have... Um, Almost a, what, a seven-inch reach advantage. Um, Height-wise, DeJesus is also going to have a two-inch height advantage. Um, so height and reach-wise, DeJesus got the advantage. But Kai Kamaka, I believe, has the athletic advantage. And we'll talk more about that. Now, according to Tapology here, DeJesus is only getting 19% of the votes. And Kamaka is getting 81% of the votes. Now, I imagine that's partially because if you've been watching UFC the last you know year or so, Kai Kamaka is a former UFC fighter. He went 1-2-1 and one in the UFC and then lost his contract. Now... I want to point out in his last fight in the UFC, which is back in July of this year, he fights Danny Chavez. It's a fairly decent fight, but he loses the fight because in round two, he he um, has a groin strike against Chavez and he loses points for that. So the fight ends up going to a draw, a majority decision draw. Clearly, if those points weren't taken away from him, he may have won the fight and then maybe he wouldn't have lost his contract. So it's kind of a rough situation for him. His fight against TJ Brown, very close, lost that by split decision. That was earlier in 2021. This is his third fight in 2021, so you do like the activity. He also lost against Jonathan Pierce via ground and pound in round two back in 2020. And his debut in UFC against Tony Kelly, he won that fight. So uh, we have a few film links there in the description uh, in the description there for Kai Kamaka. If you want to go back and look at some of the film um, of him. Let's talk here more details about Kai Kamaka. I looked at, looked at his family background, did some research. His older brother actually played at the University of Hawaii um, as a football player. He studied at Midland University in Nebraska, which is just so random. Like He's from Hawaii, but he went to Midland University in Nebraska. And no, he did not wrestle there, from what I understand. Um, his cousin is Ray Cooper III. Uh, I guess it's common in their family to carry the third, second, whatever. Um, of course, Ray Cooper is the welterweight champion currently right now um, in Bellator. And he's also a cornerman for him. So they do do some training together. He does help him out. Um, his uncle is Ronald June, who's a former UFC veteran himself. So it runs in the family. A lot of athletes, right? And now Kamaka himself, Kai Kamaka III, he's known the UFC matchmaker Sean Shelby since he was a like, little kid. Because Sean Shelby used to be a cameraman for early MMA promotions back in Hawaii way back in the day. So, that's a mouthful, but Kai Kamaka has been around mixed martial arts, been around UFC brass for a while, 
Um, I imagine he was cut recently because he is only 26 years old. He's got plenty of time to get it all back together and come back to the UFC. Um, some positives about Kamak I want to point out. He's got UFC-level experience. Um, his last fight was in July versus Danny Chavez. He has been very busy. Thir three fights here in 2021. He's 2-0 in Bellator and 1-0 in LFA. He won his UFC debut versus Tony Kelly back in 2020. Um, uh, he's a good counterpuncher. I do want to mention that. So it's, you think of this guy as Hawaiian, maybe grappler, maybe wrestler. You think of, uh, Ray Cooper, the third, like his cousin. No, he's a really sharp boxer. Um, really good counterpuncher, uh, quick hand sets things up with a jab. He's got a balanced attack. He can wrestle. He can grapple. He can box. Um, so those are the positive things I do like about Kamaka. Some of the cons about Kamaka, um, limited finisher. He's been to decision now in his last six straight wins. Okay. Um, he is only 26 years old. Recently got cut, by, got cut by UFC. How does he respond from that? Is he going to bounce back and do well? Is it going to be a drag on him emotionally? Um, he's also a replacement fighter in this fight. Kamaka's replacing Keani Diggs, who backed out. Not sure why Diggs backed out. Um, it wasn't a last-minute replacement. Kamaka's known about this for a few weeks, but the point is he is a replacement fighter. As for De Jesus, let's look at his positives here. He's 2-1 in Bellator, so this will be his fourth Bellator fight. He's very athletic and also has a balanced attack. He can grapple, can wrestle, pretty good in his feet, very long arms. Um, his, his losses have been very quality level losses. Think about these guys he's lost to. Billy Quarantino in the UFC, split decision loss. Uh, Jason Soares, 14-0. He's a Titan FC champion currently. If you've never heard of Jason Soares, pretty good fighter. Danny Chavez in the UFC. Pat Sabatini, U UFC. Bill Algio, UFC. And he recently lost to Aaron Pico, who's not in the UFC, but some people say he should be. And he's right now tearing shit up in Bellator. So when you look at his past... The one thing about De Jesus is he has fought in some very, very good guys. And his decisions, close decisions, split decision losses against very high-level guys. So when you're talking about fighter history, who's fought the better-level guys, even though Kamaka has just recently come out of the UFC, De Jesus has fought some very high-level guys, has held his own. Now, in terms of De Jesus, some of the things that I question about him or don't like about his fighting style... He's very limited in his finishing ability as well. He's been a decision now in five of his last seven wins, okay? Now, he did have two recent finishes, but five of his last seven wins have been by decision. He tends to slow down. So round one, he's active, he's more spry, but he significantly slows down at the end of round one into round two, round three. He becomes more hittable, becomes easier to take down. It goes without saying, just like he has quality losses, it's, it's also on the flip side, he tends to lose against higher level opponents, right? He tends to have a hard time against guys that are just higher level, UFC level guys, higher level Bellator guys. So in this situation here, I would compare, for example, some of his most recent fights where he lost, like Danny Chavez. I would say Danny Chavez is comparable to Kai Kamaka. I'm not saying Kai Kamaka is better than him. I'm just saying level-wise comparable. And so in that fight, you know, um, you saw that Kai Kamaka, like, he's a little better than Danny Chavez, okay? Um, he should have won that fight. And Danny Chavez is a UFC-level fighter. So when I look at that comparison, I think, okay, if you put a good version of Kai Kamaka in the cage here with De Jesus, I feel like that's going to be enough for him to beat John De Jesus. I like John De Jesus. I give the guy a lot of credit for taking tough fights. Whoever his management team is, like, might be the UFC, I don't know. They know they can just throw this guy in there. I'm not, no, sorry, not the UFC, but Bellator, whoever manages this guy, like, he always takes tough opponents. So I give him a lot of credit for doing that. This is a tough fight. At 31 years old for John DeJesus, I'd like for him and his team to actually be setting up with easier opponents. He's taking a guy like Kai Kamaka, who's just coming out of the UFC, and he's very young. You know he wants back in. Um, he does look really good. His cardio is assured. Um, so I think all arrows point towards Kai Kamaka winning the fight. I'll parlay him at minus 225. I'll bet him straight up at minus 225. 
Again, I like John De Jesus. This is just not a good matchup. I have Kai Kamaka to win. In terms of a prop bet that I would highlight, um, Kai Kamaka by decision. Again, I think we went back to that uh, that stat we talked about earlier with Kai Kamaka. He's got six straight wins by decision, okay? Nice lower leg kicks, nice combinations, but clearly lacks punching, finishing power, and doesn't have any submission wins anytime in, in the recent history. So, again, I like Kamaka, and I like Kamaka by decision. Next up, we got a lightweight bout between Alexander Shibley from Russia and Bobby King from the United States. King is 10-3 overall, 4-1 his last five fights. He's from Leighton, Utah, 37 years old, 11 months, so he'll be 38 years old very soon. 5'9 in height with 70-inch reach, he's out of Koa Kingdom. As for Alexander, he's 20-3 overall, 5-0 in his last five fights. He's from Rostov-on-Don, Russia, 28 years old, 5'9 in height with 70.5-inch reach. He's training out of Perizovet FT. So, um, height and reach-wise, these guys are just about identical. Experience-wise, there's an edge there for Alexander, who's fought roughly 10 more fights than Bobby King. Now, Bobby King is 37 years old, about to be 38, so 10 years older. Um, he's got the years experience, but not quite the fighting experience. As for topology, it looks like Alexander Shebley is the favorite, getting 96% of the votes, only 4% votes coming in for King. Now, on the money line, it looks like Alexander is also a strong favorite. At currently minus 400, I imagine that'll move to minus 500 to minus 600 or something like that by the time the fight actually closes out. I like Alexander to win the fight. Um, I wish I had more fill on Bobby King. I wish I knew a little bit more about him, but for all the information I've gathered, which is limited, it seems as if this guy is at the tail end of his career. This is a fight that's handpicked here for Alexander. Um, Alexander is looking to pad that record, um, add more victories. Um, and here we got a guy, Bobby King, who's, you know, more or less at the tail end of his career and will take whatever good fight he can get. Um, some pros and cons here on both fighters. For Alexander, he's on a five-fight winning streak. He's won a no in Bellator. Um, he's only been finished one time in his career. And two of the three losses that he suffered were split decision losses. So um, even when he did lose, it was close, right? His cons are he's only got one Bellator fight. Not a lot of experience. No UFC experience. No contender series experience. Um, he's been to decisions in his last three fights. And that means that, look, recently at least, he's having a hard time finishing fighters, right? So that only means that stepping up in competition, his finishing ability from the past is not quite transitioning. So it doesn't mean like the end of the world. It's just something to be noted. His finishing ability is sort of going down a little bit. Um, I One of the things about him, too, that, that concerns me, he's not been challenged, right? He has not been stunned in a fight. He's not been hurt. He's not had to go five grueling rounds with somebody. So we're not sure how he'll respond when he really gets tested or maybe he gets injured or gets hurt in a fight. So there's still a question mark there. Submissions. Now, he had a handful of submissions early on, like three or four submissions in his first four or five fights that he won by. Um, now he hasn't had a submission in years and has had a submission in maybe his last seven to eight fights. So he did have submission ability before. Again, that sort of diminished. He's a low volume striker. I want to emphasize this. If a fight goes to close, you know, a three to three round fight, it goes to the scorecards and it's a close fight. He is a low-volume striker. He's a one-punch-at-a-time type of guy. Doesn't throw a lot of combinations. He tends to project his punts. I mean, punts. His punches very early on, so you can see his movement coming. The opposing fighter <clears throat> will be able to sort of prepare for that, defend himself, and counterpunch. So I don't love his boxing style. I don't love that it's low-volume. I don't like the fact that he'll throw sometimes one punch every 30 seconds or so. Um, it's that slow at times. So those are some concerns for me in terms of uh, Alexander Shibley. Now, as for Bobby King... He's also on a four-fight winning streak. Um, he's only been finished one twice in his career, so pretty durable. He's fought in decent promotions like LFA, Fierce FC, and Bellator. Some cons on Bobby King, besides the fact that I don't have much film on him. He started his career 2-2. Two two. He lost his first fight and his fourth fight, and they were both by TKO. Those two fighters, just you know, side note here, have moved on to have records of 7-5 and five overall and 1-2 and two overall. His third loss was against a guy named Saro 
who has a career record of 11 and 7. So he's got these three losses in his career. Two were very early on by TKO. The third one here uh, was to Sararo, who's 11 and 7. So he has not lost against very good caliber competition, not UFC competition, not Bellator competition. This seems to me as if even if the fight were to stay on the feet for some reason and Bobby King could like outbox Alexander for moments on the feet, Alexander would just look to grab him and grapple him and take the fight to the ground and wrestle him and use his traditional Russian style of fighting to use his Sambo techniques, use his, you know, you know, his tie techniques to get the fight to the ground. Just good old fashioned double leg takedowns, single leg takedowns. I guess no matter how you put it, Shabili's winning the fight. Um, I'm going to parlay him into some parlays. I don't want to over parlay him. There is something that scares me a tiny bit about the fight. Well, I'll tell you what it is. I don't have a lot of film on Bobby King. Um, if you have more film links on Bobby King and you've watched film on him, or you have your own notes, or you have some opinions on him as a fighter, please share. I just don't have a lot to go off. You know, he doesn't have a lot of experience. He is older, um, coming out of not a very well-known gym. Um, doesn't seem to have, you know, great knockout or finishing power. So a lot of red flags. It seems to me that if you're managing Alexander Shibley, this would be that handpick opponent to go ahead and get that record at 21 and three, right? So not much more I can give you guys in this fight. I'll be parlaying Shibley, um, but I won't over parlay it. Definitely won't play it straight up. If you're looking for a prop here, uh, we'll cover the props more in our prop show. But if I could just give you maybe two props to consider, I'm thinking Alexander by decision or Alexander by a finish sometimes something inside the distance. And I would, I would just take the inside the distance prop on that. I wouldn't go by a submission or by TKO. Just not sure what Bobby King's going to give us here. So two props I would look at Shibley by inside the distance, somehow submission or TKO or Shibley by, by, uh, by decision. So that's a breakdown guys. Good luck with this fight. Next up, we got a lightweight bout between the American Magic Mike Hamill and Achilles Moda from Brazil. Moda's 12-2 overall, 3-2 in his last five fights. He's 31 years old, 5'11 in height with 71-inch reach. He trains out of Teixeira MMA Fitness up in Danbury, Connecticut. As for Mike Hamill, who's 8-5 overall, he's 2-3 in his last five fights. He's from Glendale, Arizona, 29 years old, 5'9 in height with 68-inch reach. He's out of MMA Lab. So height and reach-wise, Hamill gives up about 2-3 inches um, in height and reach. Um, in terms of their gyms, both very, very good gyms, uh, good coaching, good training camps. Now for Tapology Public vote here. Moda's getting 78% of the votes here. Only 22% of the votes are coming in for Hamill. I'm a little surprised. Um, Hamill is a pretty well-known fighter. Um, now, the money line here has a little tighter with Moda getting minus 150 favor of the money line and plus 120 you can get Mike Hamill. That seems about right. When you break this these two fighters down, there's just there's one thing they have in common. Um, they may be intelligent people outside the octagon. They may be very smart people in real life. But they just tend to make some very awkward decisions in the octagon. Um, they put themselves in situations where they're winning fights and they find ways to lose those fights. Um, or they make, you know, just just bad decisions um, in general. We'll talk more about that as we break down the film here. Um, some pros and cons here on Mike Hamill. So he went the distance with Usman Nurmagomedov back earlier this year. And that says a lot. I mean, Usman Nurmagomedov is one of the top prospects in that division. He went the full distance. So he showed, you know, durability. Um, and obviously he was able to stay safe and not get finished by Usman. Um, he went to a split decision loss against Adam Borix, which again, that's a good split decision loss. Adam Borix is a legit fighter. Um, he's also coming off of his first Bellator win against Bryce Logan. So some positive things here about Mike Hamill. Now, some cons or some negatives here about Mike Hamill. He started his career off 5-0, and okay? So he was 5-0, and things were going well. You know, former college wrestler, former high school standout wrestler there in Arizona. Um, then after starting off 5-0, and He's now three and five in his last eight fights, okay? His first five opponents had a combined record of 10 and 21. So when he started off five and oh, it looked nice, but those guys were cans. Those guys have a 10 and 21 overall combined record. 
She's having a harder time now. He lost his first two Bellator fights. He lost his last two LFA fights. And he's got no finishes in his last eight fights in the last four years, okay? So, again, eight years, four fights. I'm sorry, sorry, eight fights in the last four years has no finishes at all. His last three wins have all been by decision. So, a lack of finishing power, a lack of power in his hands. Um, now, looking at some of his recent fights, fights that we actually reviewed here, the first fight against Souza in 2019, he lost that fight because of an illegal blow. If you watch the fight, he's winning the fight. He wins all of round one. He wins all of round two. The referee tells him repeatedly, stop punching the guy in the back of the head. Okay? Stop doing it. He continues to just do it. And eventually, they call the fight. He loses the fight, and that's it. And he loses. He should have won the fight because he had won every part of the fight. But for some reason, in top position, he just didn't take the directions from the referee. He loses the fight via that method. In 2018, he finds he fights Winiski. All right? In that fight, um, you know, again, um, he, he was in a situation where he was doing well. He's in top position. He's got the guy down. He's on top of him. He tries to disengage and try to get up. And you know what happens? He gets into an arm bar, and he taps pretty quickly. Now, that round had gone rough for him, I will admit. That first round against Winiski, 2018, he does get clipped, almost knocked down, um, you know, gets a little bit stunned, recovers, gets a takedown. He's in top position, and while in top position, again, he tries to disengage, Leaves himself open to an armbar, ends up tapping. So that's what I mean when I'm like fighter IQ, making good decisions uh, or not making good decisions in the ring when it comes to someone like um, Mike Hamill. Now, as for Achilles Moda, positives on him are pros. He's one and one in Bellator. This will be his third Bellator fight. He's got LFA and Brave CF, Brave CF experience. He's got quality losses. So, for example, his only two losses are against Hubbard, who's now in the UFC, and Derek Anderson, who's a pretty solid fighter in uh, Bellator to 17 and 4 record. Um, okay, so against Mandela Nalo back in 2000 and oh, it was just a few years ago against Nalo. Nalo was a hot prospect from Canada. He was 8-0 and undefeated or 7-0 undefeated. He handed that guy his first loss. He lands a few solid leg kicks. That's Moto, that is. He lands some really nice solid leg kicks. Ends up basically deading the leg of Nalo. And Nalo can't continue because he can't control his leg. His like, ankle's flopping. So showed a nice win there. Put the first L on Nalo's record. He's finished three of his last four wins, all right? So better finish right here than on the other side with Hamill. Um, he's got a nice lower leg kick, as we mentioned. He can finish a fight that way. He's a very solid wrestler, okay? Trip game, um, you know, he's got an ability to get guys to the ground. Um, he tries to do it often. He doesn't overdo it, doesn't get himself out of position. He's effective with his wrestling. He took down Derek Anderson multiple times in his last fight. And Derek Anderson, again, 17-4, very good fighter in Bellator. Um, even though he lost that fight to Derek Anderson, he did take him down multiple times, did a very good job with that. So I do like the wrestling attack of, um, of Mata. Now, some things about Mata that concern me, he's coming off of a head kick loss, okay? He got kicked in the head there by Derek Anderson. And I'm going to talk about that in some detail. The link's in the description there if you want to watch that fight. But when he gets kicked in the head, he does that Luana um, Panero thing where he acts like he got hit, but he really didn't get hit that hard. So he kind of flops down, and he looks at the referee like, yo, that was an illegal blow, man. So the referee's like, okay, stop, stop. We're going to stop what we're doing. Well, they review it on film, and he was not a grounded fighter. Both of his knees were actually off the ground. He did have a hand down. That does not count as being grounded. Both of his knees were actually off the ground. He was trying to get fully up from the position he was in, and he got kicked in the face. The kick was not that hard. If he was a smarter fighter, okay, if, if Mata was using his head, he would have continued the fight. Okay. Instead, he tried to pretend like he got hit hard. He tried to act like it was an illegal blow, and he ends up taking the loss because once they stop the fight and go to replay and have to replay it, they cannot resume the fight at that point. So it's kind of like a little bit of karma there. He didn't really get hit that hard. 
He tried to fake his way into a victory, and he ends up taking an L. Now, here's the, here's the irony in this. He won round one, and he was winning round two up until that point. He had takedowns. He had position control. He had back control in round one. He was winning the fight. I'm, I'm going to just say it. He tried to weasel his way. Kilius Mato tried to weasel his way into a victory, and it blew up in his face when he realized, oh, shit, I should have just kept fighting. I shouldn't have pretended like I got hit that hard. I shouldn't have pretended like it was an illegal blow when it was not. So that fight, a little annoying, but a lot of red flags for me. I don't like to see fighters who don't really want to fight, who are looking for an easy path to victory, who are looking for some technicalities. He clearly wasn't hurt. You could watch the replay yourself. He made a terrible decision. He tried to be slick, and he wasn't that slick. Now, he was 11-0, okay? That's Mata. He was 11-0 before losing to Hubbard in 2018 via TKO. Um, and Hub Hubbard is, is obviously in the UFC. So he had amassed a nice record before he started running into a little bit better competition. When you watch him fight, he tends to slow down quickly, doesn't overexert himself. Um, not sure if that's a cardio issue or it's just a sort of a fighting style issue, but he doesn't have a lot of movement, throws some nice lower leg kicks, has some nice takedowns, but lacks energy. And with a guy like Mike Hamill, Mike Hamill may just have enough energy here to do enough in the scorecards for the, for the actual judges to say, listen, he's the fighter putting, pushing more pace. He's the fighter with more movement. He's the guy trying some more takedowns. I feel as if sometimes with a guy like with, uh, with Mata, he kind of falls into a lull. You know, so after that first part of round one, he starts to slow down. You don't see as much action from him. And I think that kind of a fighter is scary to get behind on a money line situation, right? So straight up here, how I'm going to bet it, I'm going to go on the side of Magic Mike Hamill. I know at 8 and 5, and he had a good start, and then he kind of ran into a rough patch here. Um, I think he gets his shit together here. I think he's got, I think he's got a slight athletic advantage here um, over, over Mata. I think he's got a slight cardio advantage. I will give, though, Mata a slight maybe boxing and finishing advantage here over Hamill. But I think Hamill at this point here at 29 years old, it's like, shit, get off the pot, dude. Like, here's your opportunity now to get right. For Achilles Mata, it's the same thing, okay? They're both in the same kind of boat here. They're both coming off of losses. They both need to kind of, you know, straighten things out. Does Mata have a chin issue? He's been finished two in his last two times in his last three fights, and both by KO. Does Mike Hamill have like, um, a, you know, a, a issue with making good decisions? You know, he needs to get himself together here and start making some better decisions and finish some of these fights and come out on top instead of coming out in the bottom. So, with that said. If I'm going to bet this fight straight up, I'm going to take a small wager on Mike Hamill. I don't have a great feeling about this. A lot of these prelim card fights here, they're either very, very close or it's just hard to get, you know, an edge on which fighter. These guys have very limited experience. You know, only maybe like to total fights between the two of these guys is like 30 fights total. So, again, not a lot of experience. Typically lower level opponents in their past. Again, here's an opportunity. They're both at good gyms. That's another thing. They're both at good gyms. Are the coaches getting these guys right? Will this be an opportunity where one guy will show out? I expect, I expect it to be close. I expect it to be close, but I wouldn't be surprised if one guy comes out and just really runs through the other guy and shows, listen, I'm making that corner, turning that corner in my career. I'm getting better. I'm finally figuring this thing out. Um, for Mata, that would be a little better cardio, pushing more pace, making better decisions. For Mike Hamill, making better decisions, keeping his pace up. And then, you know, when you got a guy in a situation where you can finish him, Finish him. Don't punch him in the side of the head or the back of the head of the neck and get disqualified. So that's a breakdown, guys. Good luck with this fight. The last fight in the prelim card is going to be a bantamweight bout between two American fighters, Jornel Lugo from Florida and Tommy Espinosa from New Jersey. Now, Espinosa is 6-3 overall. He's 29 years old. 5-6 in height with 65.5-inch reach. He's out of pure mixed martial arts, which is located in Rahway, New Jersey. As for Jornel Lugo, he's 7-0. He's from West Palm Beach, 26 years old. 5-9 in height with 73-inch reach. He trains out of Combat Club. 
So height and reach-wise, we got to point out that Lugo has a 3-inch height advantage and almost an 8-inch reach advantage. Um, as for their gyms, both of these gyms are small gyms. No other listed pro or amateur fighters, so that's kind of an equal negative. Um, you want to see these guys fighting at clubs where they have better teammates or better coaching, but in this case, they're both at smaller gyms. Um, as for topology, the public vote coming in here in favor of Lugo with 99% of the votes coming in for Lugo. Now, if you look at the money line, it's kind of matches up. Lugo right now is currently at minus 600 of the money line. Espinosa, you can get him at plus 425. I agree. I like Lugo to win the fight. I think he's one of the most, let's say this is one of the biggest mismatched fights on this card here. Um, and no disrespect to Tommy Espinosa, but this is just simply a really big step up for him. Um, and we'll talk here a little bit more about the pros and cons, right? So talking about Espinosa first, he is 1-0 in Bellator, so, you know, not bad. Um, he did go on a six-fight winning streak back in 2017. Um, now, as we mentioned, though, some cons on him. He's from a small gym, no other listed fighters. He is on a two-fight losing streak. Um, he suffered his first career finish six months ago where he got finished in a fight the first time he ever got finished in a pro fight. He lost his pro debut back in the day to Phil Carpacara. Carpacara Kappa. Sorry, excuse me. Um, Phil's now 8-2. and two. I believe he's got a CFFC belt, so not the worst pro debut loss, but he did lose in his pro debut. Now, very low competition. When you look at the records of the six opponents that he has wins over, okay? So we're talking about a guy who's got, again, limited experience here. Espinosa got a record of what? Overall, six and three, okay? So the six total wins, right? Look at the records of the six total fighters he's beaten. One and seven, oh and two, three and four, three and six, three and two, and five and four for a combined record of 16 and 25. So put in perspective, his six wins are against some very low level potential guys below 500 winning percentage. Um, and so, yeah, those are the red flags there for me on, on Tommy Espinoza. As for Jernel Lugo, he's four known Bellator. Great. He's got a very high finishing rate for his weight class, especially. So he's got three finishes in seven fights. This is 135 pounds. So, I think as a young fighter, he shows he's got the ability to finish, right? And he's actually coming off of a first-round finish in his last fight via rear naked choke. Now, <clears throat> he went 6-1 and one as an amateur. You know, so when you're just looking at his pro record and amateur record, the guy's a winner, all right? High winning percentage. Now, what are the cons? What are the question marks here about Lugo? Well, number one, <clears throat> he's young. He's 26 years old, right? Um, he hasn't really been tested. He's fought, you know, a few Bellator fights. Yes, he's 4-0, but hasn't really been tested. He's from a small gym, doesn't have a great training camp, um, doesn't have great teammates or great coaches or world-renowned coaches or teammates. Now, he also has faced some very low competition, okay? The records of his most re recent fights in Bellator, for example, just as Bellator opponents, 4-2, and 5-2, and 7-5, okay, for a combined record of 16-9. and nine. So, again, he hasn't been tested. Now, when you watch the film, <clears throat> as they say in, in, in football coaching circles, the film don't lie, okay? You can see that Lugo is very, very athletic. You can see the guy has awkward movements. Um, you can see he's got very good stand-up boxing defense. On the ground, he's very dangerous. He can get a submission. He's got long arms. So you're thinking, oh, boxing, boxing. Well, that's also useful if you want to get a rear naked choke. It's also useful for submission attacks. It's also useful for grappling. So Tommy Espinoza is going to simply be overwhelmed here. Um, I don't see a path to victory for him. I don't even see how he gets around. Um, and I think more than likely, here's Lugo, again, at a lower at a lower weight class. You know, these guys are fighting at um, 135 pounds, right? He's got a lot of finishing ability. I think this is a good setup fight for him. Um, I want to point out here with Espinosa, you know, again, he hasn't fought 
much competition. The fights he's got to get, the fights he's won, but he is on a two-fight losing streak, okay? Um, and the two guys he lost against, they're okay-level talent, and those were not even Bellator fights. That was a CFFC fight, and it was Ohio Combat League. So, um, you know, he did have a win back in 2018 against Shurab. Um, that film link is in the description. You can watch that film if you want. That was back in Bellator 208, so that was a nice first-round submission win. But, you know, again, his record is spotty against any kind of decent-level <clears throat> fighters. I think this is a big step up in talent for him. How do you bet this fight? Well, I think you got to parlay Lugo um, and do it before it gets too late. This is probably too chalky for my liking. I like to parlay things under minus 500. You know, you get to over minus 600. You're not getting a lot of value there. Um, the prop bets you want to look at, Lugo by submission. Um, I, I, I can see him attacking Tommy Espinosa, grinding him out. Tommy Espinosa giving up his back and Lugo getting a submission sometime in round one, round two. Um, could he tag Espinosa, just chew up in a lot of shots and have Espinosa covering up, get a TKO win? Yeah, so maybe if you look at the prop of just Lugo by finish and then Lugo by decision, unfortunately, that's going to probably be chalky, like minus 200 or something like that. So um, I don't see any prop bets that you want to look at for Espinosa. Don't see how he can hurt Lugo. I think Lugo walks through this guy. Lugo has a future. You know, he's a young fighter at 26 years old. I think he needs to get to a better gym where he's got better training partners, better coaching. Um, when you look at these guys side by side, experience-wise, Lugo has a little bit of an advantage. IQ-wise, Lugo has an advantage. Um, Cardio-wise, about equal. Finishing ability, again it's, on the side, it's, again, it's on the side of Lugo. Boxing, Lugo's a much sharper striker. Has has a little bit of a, <clears throat> how can I explain this? Like a, a Floyd Mayweather-esque boxing style where he stands sideways, very good stand-up defense, quick striker, knows how to use his jab. Um, and then in terms of just overall grappling ability, wrestling ability, Lugo, again, has a big advantage here over his uh, his counterpart. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I like Lugo every which way. He's one of my favorite picks on the card. Probably one of my second or third most strongest picks to win outright. Um, but again, at minus 600, you can't bet that straight up. You're probably looking to parlay this. And if you're going to go for a prop, I think the two props that makes the most sense would just be inside the distance of any kind for Lugo. Or Lugo by decision. Next up, we got a bantamweight bout between Josh Hill from Canada and Jared Scogans from the United States. Scogans is 10 and 1 overall. He hails from Spartanburg, South Carolina, 26 years old, 5'7 in height with 69 and a half inch reach. He's at a revolution mixed martial arts. As for Josh Hill, the Canadian, he's 20 and 4 overall, 4 1 in his last five fights. He's from Stony Creek, Ontario, 35 years old, 5'6 in height with 16 to 6, sorry, 66 and a half inch reach. He's out of House of Champions MMA and also Jocelyn's MMA. So just quickly there, Height-wise, they're about the same. Reach-wise, though, there'll be a three-inch reach advantage there for Jared Scogans. Now, in terms of topology votes here, Scogans is getting 38% of the votes and Hill's getting 62% of the votes. So Hill right now is the favorite, according to the public. Now, the money line here has it more or less as a pick -em, And I do agree. This is a tough fight to call. Um, maybe one of the toughest fights in the card. And a fight that I really can't find a solid lean on. Um, I think Josh Hill wins. Don't know if I'll be able to bet it. If I had a prop bet to choose... I'd say the fight goes to decision. Um, that seems to me to be the most likely path because they're evenly matched. They both have to grapple a little bit. Let's talk here about Josh Hill, the pros on Josh Hill. So Josh Hill's 2-1 in Bellator, okay? Um, and his last four losses, I want to go back to 2015, his last four losses, they're quality losses. They're against higher-level opponents, guys that are Bellator-level fighters, UFC-level fighters with high-winning percentages. For example, his last loss um, earlier this year, he loses against Stotts, right? Well, Stotts just beat Magomedov in August um, via decision. Um, it was a big-time fight. You know, Magomedov was the huge favorite. Stotts came in there. Stotts is 17-1, very good opponent. And so, 
Yeah, you know, so looking at Josh Hill, his last fight, he lost his thoughts. He went to decision against thoughts. Not a bad loss. Um, he went one and one in 2013's Ultimate Fighter series. So way back in the day, he was an Ultimate Fighter, went one and one. So he had some of that experience. Um, and so those are some pros on Josh Hill. Now, as for the cons on Josh Hill, some things that, you know, question marks I have. Very limited experience um, in terms of UFC and Bellator. So, for example, this is going to be his third Bellator fight, and he's 35 years old. So kind of getting a late start there from that perspective. He's 35, only has a few more years here, really, at this weight class. Um, and so it's kind of like, yeah, I guess it's now or never, right? He's a low-volume striker, a one-punch-at-a-time or one-kick-at-a-time type of fighter. Doesn't throw a lot of combinations. Um, loads up on his punches, but again, it's one punch at a time, low volume. You know, 30, 40 seconds will go by where he won't throw a strike. He's got a very robotic stance, okay, very stiff. Um, reminds me of like Hannah Goldie. So he's very jacked and, and stiff, so doesn't have great head movement, not very flexible, very stiff in the upper body. Um, and so that's also how he strikes. It's like robotic, one strike at a time. You know, um, he's flat-footed. So he starts to fight off by trying to be light on his feet. It's almost like he's he's been conditioned or trained to say, Stay light on my feet. Be light on my feet. But then as the fight goes into later round one, round two, round three, his conditioning starts to wane. He just for, kind of forgets. He gets very flat-footed. He shoots punches flat-footed. Um, big punches, very flat-footed. So um, he's an easy target. You know, I wonder here, for example, on the other side, will Skogans be able to use his distance, land some combinations? Um, some pros here on Jared Skogans, all right? So he defeated a guy named Cody Turden. Back in 2017, by decision, Cody Durden, if you don't recall, is the fighter who recently, he beat an Asian fighter, and then after the fight was like talking mess, like, oh man, I'm sending him back to China, whatever, um, raised a bunch of eyebrows, I guess, on Twitter and everything else, but whatever. So Cody Durden is a UFC-level fighter, just got a win, um, and here this guy, Jared Skogans, beat him back in 2017. So um, he won the vacant CFFC title in 2020, which was his last fight um, about, about a year ago, year ago in a few months. Um, he's on a winning streak. He's got five wins in a row. So all positives there for Jared Skogans. Some cons or some issues about Jared Skogans are this is his first Bellator fight. All right. Doesn't have any UFC experience. Um, he hasn't fought in over a year. That last fight again was a CFFC fight for a vacant title. Got the win there. So, um, we got some questions there about Skogans. You know, when I line these guys up in terms of experience, I give a slight edge to Josh Hill, um, and it's because, obviously, he's got 24 fights compared to the 11 fights that Skogans has fought, um, and he's got a few more Bellator fights, you know, so Josh Hill's got a little more experience. IQ, I'm giving the edge to Josh Hill for a few reasons, but one of them is just the fact that he's more he's more active. Um, he's busier as a fighter. Um, I don't like when fighters take too much time off, um, and so it's a little bit of a question mark there, again, for Skogans. Cardio-wise, I've seen both guys go deep into round three, continue to wrestle, continue to grapple. They both seem to have good cardio. Finishing-wise, I give a slight edge there to Josh Hill. Boxing-wise, they're both lower-level boxers. You're talking about these guys are grapplers. They're wrestlers. They're not really strikers. They're not really boxers. Don't have a lot of power in their hands. Not, not heavy with the kickboxing either. So um, their boxing game is just very weak. This fight's going to be on the ground. It's going to be ugly, dirty boxing, grappling against the cage. Um, and grappling-wise, they're even. Okay, So in a lot of ways, these guys are... The money line reflects it. Minus 130 for Josh Hill, plus 110 for Skogans. It's a pick em. If I had to bet one side, if I had to choose one side, I'm going to go with Josh Hill to win the fight. But um, I could see Skogans easily coming in here, landing more punches. Josh Hill tends to get robotic, doesn't respond very well. Um, now, in the clinch, that's where you think that Josh Hill, you know, one more point here. I, you'd think that Josh Hill would have the advantage in the clinch. He looks like that. He's built like that. He's strong. Um, 
But Skogans is a you know he's you know he's a he's a wily guy like he's he's 26 but he fights kind of like a veteran. Um, so we'll see what happens here. But I'm ever so slightly leaning towards Josh Hill. If there's any prop bet I choose for this fight, it's a fight going to distance or going to decision of some kind. That's our breakdown, guys. Good luck with this one. Next fight up is a middleweight bout between Vinicius de Jesus from Brazil and Levon Chokelli from Georgia. Chokelli's nine and one overall. He's 25 years old, six foot one in height, with 73 inch reach. The gym he trains out of is just way too hard for me to pronounce. Um. I guess I would tell you, look on Tapology. It starts with a V, E, P, K, and then trickles on there with some H's and I's and T's and K's. Uh, anyway, De Jesus is 9-4 and four overall. The Brazilian is hailing from Stanford, Connecticut currently, 31 years old, 5'10 in height with 73-inch reach. He's got his gym listed as Boxer MMA, which is down in Brazil, so maybe he has changed gyms, not sure. Um, as for Tapology, the public vote here is on the side of Chokelli. He's getting 81% of the votes here coming in for Chokelli and 19% of the votes coming in for to Jesus. Um, I think Chokelli wins the fight, but let me emphasize, I think he wins the fight. Um, there's a lot of things about both the fighters that you can at least point to um, and like a little bit. Like, let's talk about De Jesus, for example. So he's the underdog. On the money line, he's a slight dog. I do want to say that. He's only plus 120, so it's more or less a pick him here. You can get Levon Chokelli at minus 145. I think that's correct. This is a pick him fight for me. And probably the hardest read in the entire card. I didn't get a really positive... One way or another, um, I probably will not bet in this fight either just because of that. So some positives here on De Jesus. He beat Jeremiah Wells in 2019. Uh, Jeremiah Wells just won his UFC debut. Pretty solid prospect, um, but he beat him by decision in 2019. So it wasn't a fluke knockout, quality win. Um, he's got a split decision loss against Jaquan Buckley. Uh, Buckley is currently in the UFC. So here you have two examples of him going split decision, loss against the current Buck, uh, UFC fighter, and winning against the UFC fighter. And these are all within the last like few years. That fight against Buckley, I think it was 2017. Um, so in, in essence, you know, he's he's showing that he's of that caliber, right? Some things about De Jesus to concern me though, um, he has lost four of his last six fights. If you include his two grappling bouts, he's lost, I'm sorry, he's lost, uh, yeah, he's lost four of his last six. He's lost two of his last MMA fights in a row and three of his last four in total. So he's got a lot of losing right now going on. Um, you don't like to see that. Losing can become a habit. Um, he's very hittable. A simple jab tore his ass apart in the Vanderford fight. If you look that fight up in 2020, the link's in the description. He got torn apart in that fight. I mean, he did survive and last the whole distance and loses by decision. But most of the damage was done at times by a simple jab he did not adjust to. Um, now, as for Chokelli, he had a nine-fight win streak going on. Um, before the no contest um, that he had in 2020 versus Conrad Durska. Now, nine-fight winning streak, but not just that. He had finished nine fights in a row. So here he is in WJF. Um, he's in GMMAF. Promotions I have never heard of. We love MMA 52. Um, the point is, he's over here racking up wins. He beats Iskoff as his last win in 2020 um, with another finish. Dr. Stoppage, it says here on Tapology, but if you watch the fight, the link's in the description. It's actually a full-on submission uh, the guy taps out uh, so in any case the guy was a finishing monster then he goes against conrad derska it goes no contest in emc and then he goes to bellator for his first fight and what ends up happening no not a finish he loses by decision to kyle crutchmer so you're left wondering like hmm does this guy really have finishing ability um very low competition level when you look at the the records of the fighters he fought so again he's got those nine wins but almost all those fighters are below 500 winning percentage fighters okay so very low level He's 0-1 in Bellator. Um, he is technically winless in his last two fights. So he hasn't won since um, January of 2020. So that'll be almost here a full two years um, coming up soon. So he hasn't tasted victory in two years. He's got this no contest um, and a loss. Um, so 
when you just talk about those details, don't you kind of feel like, oh, De Jesus, like maybe he's, you know, the better prospect. He's fought in some UFC level guys. Um, he's beaten some UFC level guys. So I think you could see how it's easy to fall into that that mindset, right? Then you start watching film and you look at Cho Kelly and like he's very athletic. Uh, he's very spry. Um, you know, you see that he's got finishing ability. When I say finishing ability, when there's blood in the water, he knows it and he knows how to push pace, get the guy out of there. Um, he'll throw a flying knee. Um, he's got very good striking. He's got heavy hands. Both guys have pretty good conditioning. Uh, I will say that. And in the case of De Jesus, he maybe has something that I'm not sure Joe Kelly has yet because I haven't seen it. But De Jesus has got a chin. He took a beat down there um, in his last fight. I'm uh, sorry, not his last fight, but his fight against uh, Austin Vanderford. He got his ass kicked pretty bad. Um, he has taken part in two grappling bouts in 2021. He won one and lost one, but hasn't been in the MMA match since November of 2020, which was a year ago against Austin Vanderford. And probably a good year layoff because, again, he took a kind of a beating. His prior fight against Jaleel Willis lost that fight, um, you know, but Willis, again, is uh, a current Bellator fighter. He's got a very good record. So you got to all go all the way back for him to 2019, where he beats Chris Lozano by KO in round three in CES, CES 58. That's the last time that he notched a victory for De Jesus. So both guys haven't tasted victory in a while. Um, when I look at these guys side by side, there's just a ton of ton of similarities. The fights we reviewed of these guys, the fights we looked at, um, that's one thing on LeVon Kelly. I wish I could have access to a little more film here. One film I did look at was him versus Isakoff in 2020. He won that fight via round one. It says Dr. Stoppage, but just take a glance at it. He actually finishes the guy with a knee, a barrage of, of punches. It's a TKO. Maybe the ref shouldn't have stopped it so quickly because as he's kind of getting away from the guy, the guy's grabbing his leg, whatever. Um, but it was a solid barrage of punches. Very good finish by him. As for De Jesus, um, the fights we watched on De Jesus were, excuse me a second here, um, the Vanderford fight. That links in the description. Um, and the Barcelos fight in 2019. That links also in the description. So, you know, I saw things I liked on both fighters. Um, I think they're both very rugged. They're both very tough. I imagine this fight most likely goes to decision and at that point you know i see a split and i see it going either way very hard to put my money on either side as a straight up bet here when i go to a parlay the lottery parlay i'll have to choose a side and i think because of the fact that at least the jesus has been in there with some ufc caliber guys um you know i like cho kelly i like the georgian fighter somebody tells me he's maybe a step up above but we don't know that for sure whereas the jesus like kind of seen him hold his own with guys that are fighting the top level and he's done that within recent years so i'm gonna go with the dog here with de jesus and pick him ever so slightly to win this fight probably by a really ugly greasy decision um and either way you just don't want to be too invested in a fight like this so good luck with this one guys Next up in the card, we've got a middleweight bout between two American fighters, Johnny Eblen from Boca Raton, Florida, and Colin Huckbuddy from St. Cloud, Minnesota. Huckbuddy's 10-3 overall, 4-1 in his last five fights, 27 years old, 6'3", and height with 76-inch reach. He's training at MMA Lab. As for Johnny Eblen, the undefeated fighter here who's 9-0 from Boca Raton, Florida, as we mentioned. He's training out of American Top Team. He's 29 years old in 11 months, so he'll be 30 years old very soon. 6'1", and height with 74-inch reach. Now, according to Tapology. Most of the votes are coming in here for Johnny Eblin with 93% of the votes coming in for Eblin and 7% of the votes coming in for Huck Buddy. So he is the favorite. The money line also reflects that. Um, the money line is pretty much ridiculous right now. Eblin is a minus 1,000 favorite. Colin Huck Buddy is a plus 625. 
a little disrespectful. You know, Huck Buddy is um, he's a former high school athlete, you know, led his high school football team to state championship several times, um, was a standout wrestler, 129 victories in the wrestling mat, wrestled in junior college, then got into mixed martial arts, you know. So at 27 years old, look, the guy's still growing, still getting better. Um, this could go decision as well. I'm going to talk here about the, the finish rate here for Johnny Eblen, who's got one finish in his last five fights. He's a good grappler. Uh, Grappling-wise, these guys are fairly even. Striking-wise, I give it a slight edge to Eblin. We'll talk about that. Uh, for Colin Huck, buddy, he's like a fish out of water when it comes to his striking game, um, but a very good wrestler. Cardio-wise, similar. Now, height and reach advantage goes to Colin Huck, buddy, but again, he's not a striker, so that shouldn't play much of a role in this fight. Looking here just at some of the pros and cons of both fighters here. Let's start here with Johnny Eblin. The obvious, he's 5-0 and in Bellator. Um, he's undefeated. He's training at American Top Team and also at Glory MMA. So great coaching, great teammates, great training program. Good training program. Now, I do want to mention, though, here's a guy with nine total fights, 9-0, undefeated, right? And his total fights overall, nine fights. He's got five finishes. Good finish rate, right? Well, here's the thing, though. In Bellator, he's got one finish in five fights. So his finish rate in his last five fights has gone way down compared to where he was at in Shamrock FC where he was getting finishes at a much higher rate, Okay. Um, Size-wise, he will be at a slight disadvantage. Don't think that's going to be a big part of the issue in this fight. Now, level of competition, yeah. He just has not fought in the greatest competition. He's 5-0 in Bellator, but I'm not taking shots at Bellator, just calling it how it is. There are some cans floating around the Bellator ranks, okay? And at this level, you know, he has not fought in anyone that's very notable, okay? So there's still questions that, you know, the jury's still out here on Johnny Eblen. As for Colin Huckbody, some pros on him. He's got a high winning percentage, you know, 10-3, and three, not undefeated, but still a high winning percentage. And he does have a contender series win. We're going to talk about the, the fallout after that because he gets a win in 2020 in contender series. And it's a triangle choke, something that he knows very well. Matter of fact, he's got six triangle choke wins in his pro and amateur career, career combined. Five pro um, triangle chokes in the 13 total fights he's fought. And at one point in 2019, he had three triangle choke victories in a row and actually finished that that. Um, that three-fight winning streak with the 2020 Triangle Choke win in Dana White Contender Series in round one. So it gets the contract from Dana White. Yippee, right? Here we go. We're off and running. Something happens where before his first fight, he gets booked for in UFC. He basically tells the UFC, I'm not ready. I don't think I'm ready for this. I'm not ready for the caliber of competition. Changes coaches, changes management, basically severs his ties with the UFC. The UFC's like, fine, you want to walk? We're going to walk, go our separate ways. Now he's talking to media people about, I want to get back into the UFC. I want another shot with Dana White Contender Series, yada, yada, yada. Um, I don't know if that ends up happening. Seems like he kind of burned his opportunity there. And I don't want to raise questions. Was he in a bad space mentally? Maybe he did have to train, change different camps. Maybe he wasn't ready. The point is, when you look at topology, you're like, how does he have a Contender Series win? First round triangle choke. Did he not get a contract? Was he overweight? No, he made weight, got the contract, signed the contract. And then before he ever got booked basically backed out and that was it so um he's been the headline in his last three events now those were two cage fury events cffc events and then one uh was for art of scrap but he was the headline event he was the main card in all three those three last three events so he's been the big fish on these smaller cards um he's a decent level fighter again you know good athletic background pretty good wrestling knows a triangle choke really well um again led his high school team as a state quarterback you know quarterback to state finals and things like that so the guy has been an athlete for a while now the cons though here's the concerns about huck buddy right it's his first bellator fight um he has not been against very good competition he did walk away from a usc contract we're not really sure what happened there's kind of sketchy conditions um and he just hasn't fought the level of opponents that here that uh johnny Eblen has fought so a lot of questions right now but here on the flip side is minus 1000 
you know, I hate to get to the money line and have that be such a factor in how I now break down this fight. But let's just be honest here. This becomes almost like a lottery ticket. You know, you're not going to bet $1,000 on Johnny Eblen to make $1,000, right? And you're not really going to want to put Eblen into a parlay. I mean, you can. People say, oh, put it in a parlay. Does it really add that much value? You know, when this fight goes to decision because Johnny Eblen has been slowing down in his finish rate, do you really want to hold that ticket? Is that minus 1,000 ticket worth it at that point? Eblen by decision is a prop to consider. Eblen by some kind of finish, maybe by submission is to consider. Um, my goodness, Colin Huckbody by decision. What would that prop look like? You know, um, I hate to say it though. This may have to be a dog or pass from a betting you know, standpoint um, because there is no way really to bet on Johnny Eblen. Yes, he probably wins the fight. Yes, he probably goes to 10-0. Um, yes, Bellator is maybe serving him up a first-time Bellator fighter, a young fighter like Colin Huckbuddy who probably can't win this fight as another just, you know, a test for Johnny Eblen to get him to the victory. Um, seems like that, you know what I mean? But the money line is out of control, so I'd be very cautious here on how you bet it. Um, and if you want to take a stab at the props, take a stab at the props. But if you want to just take a lottery stab, maybe put a quarter unit here on Colin Huckbuddy at plus 625. I don't see, for example, Johnny Eblen, like, spearing him in the first 30 seconds and, like, knocking this guy out and pulling, like, some Jorge Masvidal knee or just something crazy. That's not Eblen's game. That's not his MO. Um, he's more of a grinder, a grappler, a wrestler. And that's what Colin Huckbuddy wants to do. If this thing gets really ugly, um, you just don't want to have that 1,000 minus 1,000 ticket. You know, so, you know, not to beat a dead horse here. I think you're looking at two fighters here that are maybe a little more evenly matched in the money line suggests. Now, the fights that we looked at here, we watched film on Eblen. We watched his fight against Foxworth in 2019 and his fight against Tyler Lee in 2018. Both those links are in the description. I'd encourage you to watch those fights. Um, and the bottom line is like in the Krause fight in 2021, Krause is 11 and 6 overall, so it's not like he's an amazing world beater, but it's the path to victory. It's the way that, um, I'm sorry, against Foxworthy. I'm sorry, against Foxworth. Foxworth 2019. When you watch that fight, you see the way that he works. He's a good wrestler. He's a good grappler. He's got good clinch control. Um, the two fights that we looked at for Huck Buddy, we looked at his fight in 2021 versus Krause, and we looked at his fight in 2020 versus Bowen. The fight versus Bowen was the fight that he won in Data Mike Contender Series, round one triangle choke. Very impressive. Um, the fight versus Krause 2021. You see that he just out wrestles the guy. Um, it's boring. <laughs> it's not very exciting. Um, it's in it's it's in a lower level promotion, but the point is he shows you how his path to victory is to ugly the fight up. Can he ugly this thing up enough? Can he have enough cardio just to make it close? I think he could. Um, I you know I, and I think look if you had to do the proverbial put a gun to my head, yes Johnny Eblen probably wins the fight. But experience wise, aren't they the same? Nine and 10 and three. Um, yeah, okay, Eblen's got more Bellator fights. Okay, but still, experience-wise, actual cage time, very similar. Um, fighter IQ-wise, I think very similar. Cardio, give a slight edge to Johnny Eblen. He seems to be a little bit fresher at the end of the round three compared to the way Colin Huckbuddy looks. Now, Huckbuddy, again, former high school wrestler, former college wrestler, or junior college wrestler. But the point is, he's been an athlete, knows how to cut weight, pretty decent cardio. So cardio-wise, very similar. Now, finishing ability... You got to give an edge to Huck Buddy right now because he's got three finishes in his last five fights. Now, those, again, have been lower-level opponents. Um, but for Johnny Eblen, I got questions about his finish rate. Um, again, one finish in his last five fights. Boxing ability, neither guy's an amazing boxer. And grappling, you got a high school, former high school wrestler who wrestled in junior college. Good background. Johnny Eblen has shown to be a standout wrestler and a grappler in Bellator. They're evenly matched there. You know, this money line is not right. Um, if I had to do this money line, in my opinion, like just my own breakdown, I would have had Eblen somewhere like around a minus 300, minus 350 
at the most. And I can even respect like a minus 275 to minus 300 because when you really look at this, what is so bad about Con Huck, buddy? He can't really box that much? Well, neither can Eblin. Um, he's an okay wrestler. Okay, Eblin's not like, you know, Khabib Nurmagomedov. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm curious to see if this line moves around a little bit. Usually when it's this high, it stays this high or even gets worse because people will actually start parlaying it for some weird reason. But anyway, um, I like Eblin to win the fight, but if you're going to bet on it, I think you put a little dash, a little sprinkle there on Colin Huck, buddy, and you enjoy it and you root for the underdog. Up next, we had a lightweight bout between two international fighters, J.J. Wilson from New Zealand and Alfie Davis from England. Davis is 14-4 overall, 4-1 in his last five fights, 29 years old, 5'11 in height with 70-inch reach. He's training out of London Shoot Fighters. As for J.J. Wilson, he's 8-0, so he's undefeated. He's 24 years old, very young fighter, 5'11 in height with a 74-inch reach. Now, we said he's from New Zealand, but he's actually now based out of California, and where he's training at a gym called Romana BJJ. Um, he's also one of the head instructors there. Um, and at 24 years old, that's kind of impressive, but it also has some other concerns, which I'll discuss here as we break down these two fighters. Now, according to Tapology, uh, Davis is only getting 10% of the votes, and JJ is getting 90% of the votes. So clearly, JJ is the favorite here, and the money line suggests that as well. Um, it's at minus 275 in favor of Wilson right now, and plus 220 for Davis. Probably by fight time in the next week or so, that number will grow to somewhere between minus 350 to minus 400. Um, I do think Wilson wins the fight. I do think he stays undefeated here. Um, he's probably the superior fighter in every category when you line these two guys up side by side. But with that said, um, I'm going to try to give you a breakdown here that's going to at least you know paint the side for how both fighters could possibly win and why at least Alvy, Alvy Davis deserves a mention here, okay? Um some, basic, some more basic information about the fighters. In terms of Alfie Davis, he's had zero finishes in his last five fights, okay? So he's got a very low finish rate, which we'll talk more about. His grappling is average. His striking, I would describe it as uh, wild techniques, flying knees, um, you know, uh, flying kicks, hitch kicks, uh, video game looking kicks, uh, you know, spinning fists, um, a lot of stuff that's high energy, um, doesn't tend to land. Um, if he doesn't land his first flying knee, he'll try it again and again, and maybe he'll try it six or seven times within a few minutes. It'll still keep missing. He'll keep trying it. Um, but he does have a little bit of power, I guess, if he lands one of those strikes. Um, as for Wilson, um, he is an excellent grappler. Um, he's a low volume striker because he tends to do more grappling and wrestling. He does a little bit of striking on the ground, but not again, high volume. Now his finish rate's much higher. He's had four finishes in the last five fights. And we'll talk about some of those finishes when we break down his, his tapology. Um, again, I like Wilson to win the fight. Then a 24 year old fighter here, um, from New Zealand goes ahead and stays undefeated. Now, as for specific uh, just notes on these two fighters here, some pros on, on Davis. He's got a 78% winning percentage, 14-4 overall. It's a pretty high winning percentage, um, and he's got 5-1 record in Bellator, okay? So in Bellator, he's not doing so bad. The one loss he had, which is back in May of this year, he lost to a tough Russian fighter with a 20-3 record. So not even that wasn't that much of a bad loss, and that was by decision. Um I give him one thing. His team, whoever his management team is, has done a good job of giving him fights that he can win. And sometimes, listen, that's just part of the game, right? You have to have good management that doesn't throw you out there to the wolves, doesn't put you out with fighters that you can't beat. At the same time, it's a little bit of a negative, but the point is he has been managed well, so he has been able to get this, what, 5-1 and one record again in Bellator, 14-4 overall. Um, he's fought in Cage Warriors. He's also fought in Phoenix FC along with in Bellator. So decent level promotions. Um, his grappling is okay. Like, he can reverse position on the ground. 
He can reverse position on the fence. He's got a good muscular build. Like he's in good shape. Um, so I wouldn't define his grappling or his BJJ or his wrestling as excellent or elite, but I would say it's, you know, he's capable. Okay. He can reverse position at times. He's, he's able to survive in certain situations where I think some fighters who have no ability there would be more in trouble. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, um, in terms of his four losses, um, they're against fighters that had pretty much winning percentages across the board, except for his one loss early in his career. So when you look at those three losses he had of recent, they were all against fighters with winning level percentages, high winning percentages. And his first loss he had back was like way back 2014. So again, quality losses, right? Um, so the pros on Alfie Davis, so now the cons on Davis, very low finish rate, okay? He's been a distance eight of his last nine fights, okay? So he's not, he doesn't have knockout power, it seems. Doesn't have submission power. Um, when he has an opponent hurt, doesn't have the ability to sort of, you know, finish them off or know when he's got someone on the ropes. Now, competition. This is probably the biggest concern for me if you're an Alfie Davis supporter or you think Davis wins this fight or you want to go chasing a dog here. Listen to me loud and clear on this one. He has fought very low competition. Okay, so here's the records of his last six opponents that he has defeated. The last six wins, okay? Here are their records. 15 and 13, 11 and 5, 8 and 8. Four and two, zero and one, and eight and nine for a combined record of forty-six and thirty-eight. So in his last six wins, their combined record is forty-six and thirty-eight. It's above five hundred, but you can see the picture here. Uh, most of the wins actually on his record. So most of his fourteen total wins are against fighters with a five hundred percentage winning percentage or lower. Okay, so the bottom line is he has not fought very high-level competition. Yes, he's five and one in in, um, in Bellator. But even that competition was very low. I'd say the most impressive win in his entire career is against Daniel Scatizzi. Scatizzi's 11 and 5. He's 3 and 3 in his last six fights. He did just come off of a win recently. Um, but Scatizzi is his probably highest win on his entire career. I think JJ Wilson is a step up against, over a guy like Scatizzi and a step over a guy like, you know, Davis. Um, another issue with Davis, he does throw these amazing looking strikes and high, you know, hitch kicks and, you know, flying knees. Uh, wheel kicks, there's everything you can imagine. It's high energy. It gets him off balance. Um, he'll be easy to take down if J.J. Wilson decides to do that. And J.J. does like to do some wrestling. Um, so Davis kind of puts himself in some awkward positions. It's also going to wear him out. Um, he does have good cardio, so I give him credit in his film. You see he does continue to do these crazy spinning combination of weird you know, strikes, video game strikes, whatever. Um, he's doing that into the deep into the third round. So um, you know, I, I, at least he's got the cardio to keep it up. But it's still very high energy. Um, it's very off balance. It's very quirky. It's very wild. Um, he tends to circle away from his opponent and avoid engagement, especially the first minute or so of like almost all of his rounds. It's as if he wants to pace himself and make sure he can finish the round well, or he's got like an agenda. Like, listen, I, if I'm going to win the round on the scorecards, I want the judges to see me do well in the second half of the round. But it just, it's almost, it's, it's almost, <clears throat> It's odd. I'm not sure if it's by pattern or if it's something that he does, you know, just mentally or it's maybe sub subliminal. Maybe it's like he doesn't realize he's doing it, but he wants to feel out like the opponent for the first part of the minute or so, first minute and a half of the round. So he tends to circle away, avoids engagement. And it's, again, it's a frequent thing you see with him. My issue with that is if a fight is close, you know, you're really risking the opportunity to win points, to win opportunities. You're circling away from the opponent. You're avoiding engagement. Um, it can cost you a round, you know. Um, he throws one punch, one kick at a time. Tend to be wild, tend to be flashy, but there's no combinations. Um, he's not a combination fighter. It's a big overhand right. It's a spinning fist. It's a flying knee. Um, another thing is when he's circling, right, which he tends to do a lot of circling and tends to avoid engagement at times, and he's got good cardio, 
he tends to fight off of his heels or off the back, off, off of his back, back of his feet per se, right? So when he's throwing punches, he's fading as he's throwing punches. So he's not following through. He's not, you know, standing or, or, or stepping into a punch. He's fading as he's throwing it. So obviously it's a lack of power. He's not throwing combinations this way. It's one punch at a time or one kick while he's fading. Um, limited head movement. Um, so even though he's circling at times, when he does engage, his head movement's not great. And so, you know, those are some of the pros and cons that I noticed on Alfie Davis. Um, in terms of the fights that I looked at on Davis specifically, um, we looked at the fight versus Webby back in 2017. That fight's in the description. He lost that fight via decision. And if you look at that fight, it's like, he probably could have won. You know, he just ends up not doing enough. Um, on his feet, gets pieced up. You know, um, Webby's an 8-9 fighter. <laughs> you know, um, so... Um, it just, you know, it's an example of, of, you know, sort of the level of, of where Alfie Davis is at. I'm sorry. Let me correct myself. He did not lose that fight against Webby. I thought that was wrong. I misspoke on that. He, he won that fight against Webby back in 2017, but Webby is an eight and nine fighter and that fight with the full distance. And if you watch the film there, you'll notice he kind of struggles with the guy at times. It's an even level fight. He does win the scorecards, but that's an eight and nine level total fighter in his fight career um i think that's going to be tough for him to try to pull that level of victory here against a guy like jj wilson okay um the other fight we looked at on him was against wanless in 2020 um he won that fight via decision um that wasn't too long ago 2020 take a look at that film as well and so um let's talk here a little bit about jj wilson i like this kid i think i'm not going to be alone when i say that i think he's got a lot of potential um he's got a bright future he's only 24 years old um, i mentioned the thing with the gym you know so like he came from american top team out in new zealand he was very young 14 or so when he started bjj um then won a bunch of like international brazilian jiu-jitsu grappling tournaments world titles um you name it whatever they do for that that part of that sport He's won it, did some kickboxing, boxing, um, has been very successful, um, has had a lot of accolades. And now again, he's a head coach at 24 years old in a gym um, in California at Ramana BJJ. So a lot of positive things about him. Some more pros about him. He's undefeated clearly, all right, 8-0. He's finished four of his last five fights. He's got a high finish rate. He's 7-0 in Bellator. He knows how to push pace against his opponent when he's got his opponent either hurt or on the fences. Um, for example, when he was fighting Carvalho in his last fight, when he had Carvalho hurt, he knew exactly how to finish the job. He showed great cardio, great poise. He took a, he took a stunning shot on the feet to Carvalho, which had Carvalho kind of getting buckled, took that fight to the ground, finished with ground and pound. And it was just absolutely a beautiful thing. Um, his wrestling, I gotta go, I gotta make sure I double down on this because it's not often you see a guy who's an excellent BJJ practitioner who then combines that with good wrestling. He's got very good wrestling, okay? So he's got a BJJ background. That's how he kind of got into mixed martial arts as a teenager. And like I said, he's got accolades as a BJJ practitioner. But his wrestling is excellent. And he knows, the, he understands this. I have to use wrestling to get to submissions. So um, I like that about him. When he gets top position on the bottom, or I'm sorry, when he gets top position on the ground, he tends to be very heavy. Um, reminds me a little bit of Patrick Sabatini. Like very good ground and pound action. Very good wrestling action. Before Sabatini's last fight, people were out there saying, oh, his wrestling's okay. He's a former Division I college wrestler. It's not okay. And Pat Sabatini showed that in his last fight. Here's a guy right here, J.J. Wilson, who has elite-level BJJ, similar to that of Pat Sabatini, and he's showing you that he can wrestle with the top-level top guys. So I think he's got elite-level wrestling, elite-level ground control, elite-level ground attack, probably grinds this guy up, Alfie Davis, on the ground. And when you look at Davis physically, he looks like he can get up off the ground, 
pretty good wrestler, but you're talking about a guy here, J.J. Wilson, who's elite. If Alfie Davis turns his back, he's going to get choked out. You know, that's one thing you got to definitely look for if you're looking at this fight from Davis's camp. Now, some cons on Wilson. Level of competition. He's had eight total wins in his career, right? He's 8-0. The, com- the combined record of those eight fighters is 32-22. and 22. Okay, three of those guys are 0-1 in their title, their total career record. So three of the guys he fought were just one-fight guys who just never fought again. They have 0-1 records. So bottom line is he doesn't have really anyone in his rear view that was significant competition. Yes, he's got seven victories here in Bellator, and Bellator probably is the second highest level promotion in the world behind UFC, but still Bellator has some cans. He has never really faced adversity. We don't know what's going to happen if he gets stunned. Um, if, if What if this guy, Alfie Davis, lands some crazy flying knee or something and actually cracks J.J. Wilson? Will he show good durability? Will he have a good chin? Will he know how to respond? We're not sure about that yet. 24 years old. The guy is a baby. Um, and I mean that with all due respect. Um, he's only been fighting legit pro for a few years. Um, still has a lot to learn. Um, he is a head instructor. Obviously, he seems like he's probably a very mature person at that age of 24, um, but really hasn't faced adversity, hasn't had a chance to even hit 30 yet in his life. Um, I don't think he's married. Um, so just a lot of questions about, you know, where his maturity is at. Um, and I'm not questioning. I'm just saying in general, we don't know. He's just, you know, still growing, still proving himself. Um, I would like to see him, even if he's training part-time, and I haven't heard of anything, but hopefully if he's training part-time at other gyms, maybe in California with some other high-level, you know, athletes where he can spar with and, you know, do some training with. Because, again, as a head instructor at 24 years old in a gym, that doesn't really have any MMA guys in it. I have questions there about how much his training is going to be able to keep him up and ready for higher level competition. Um, one more concern about this, and maybe I'm being redundant, at 24 years old, undefeated 8-0, um, you know, tons of finishes here on his career, early career. Is he overconfident? Does he overlook a guy like Alfie Davis? Does he just assume, hey, I can go in here, I can walk through punches, whatever? Again, you know, that that happens to to a fighter when they first lose that first fight. It's like a wake-up call. Oh, my gosh, I probably should have won that fight. I came there too cocky. You know, so one hand, if you like J.J. Wilson, you're like, hey, go lose a fight like this. Go lose a fight like this. Just bounce back. Realize, you you know, overlook the guy. He made some mistakes. You know, it would be good for him in the long term. On the flip side of it, you know, maybe he maybe he's a very mature 24-year-old. He, you know, he realizes he's not going to take these fights for granted. He comes in here. He wipes the you know, floor with Alfie Davis and beats him up and gets an easy victory. So... That's the breakdown for you guys. I like Wilson to win the fight. I think at minus 300, the value is going to be there as a parlay bet, not going to be as a straight-up bet because it's going to be right minus 350, minus 400, maybe by the time the fight actually closes out. This will be a parlay piece. I like Wilson. If you want to talk about a prop bet, the most popular prop bet will probably be Wilson by submission. Okay, he's a submission elite-level submission artist, even if Davis tries to out-wrestle or out-grapple or, or transition at some point and expose himself, and Wilson has a tendency to wear guys out on the ground, Wilson will bring the fight to the ground. On the feet, you'll see Davis doing his karate kick and his video game stuff. It'll be funny at times to watch it. But Davis, gets Davis unfortunately, gets the loss here. He might even get finished. I like Wilson to win the fight. Um, and in terms of the fight fighters on the main card that I like the most to win their fight, I got to say, Wilson might be my favorite pick in terms of the most solid one, like dare I say, lock on the main card. Um, but I think he's got all the tools here. Um, height and reach-wise, they're similar. There is a four-inch reach advantage there for Wilson, but I didn't really talk about that that much. And the reason is because, again, this fight goes to the ground. Wilson will grind him out on the ground. He'll show his BJJ ability. This fight breakdown went way too long, but thanks for joining us. Um, if you're betting on the fight, good luck, and uh, we're on to the next one. Here we go.
The co-main event is going to be a featherweight bout between two North American fighters, Emmanuel Sanchez from the United States and Jeremy Kennedy from Canada. Kennedy is 16-3 overall, 3-1-1 in his last five fights. He hails from Las Vegas, Nevada, where he trains at Extreme Couture. He's 5'11 in height with 71-inch reach. As for Sanchez, who goes by the Matador or El Matador, he's 20-6 overall, 3-2 in his last five fights. He's out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He's also out of Rufus Sport Academy. Um, he's 31 years old, 5'9 in height with 70-inch reach. According to Tapology's public votes here, it looks like Sanchez is a big favorite here, coming in with 78% of the votes, and Kennedy's getting 22% of the votes. Now, the money line also has Sanchez winning the fight here at minus 225, and you can get Kennedy at plus 185. Um, I'll tell you what, when I broke down this fight, I felt that this was very close and maybe one of the best fights on the entire card. Um, I do see it going the distance. I think both guys have holes in their game, but they're durable. Um, let's talk here about Sanchez first. Um, Sanchez is the kind of guy where... He does really well against average fighters, um, high volume, all right? So high output, high volume. Um, you know, he's going to put you, put his hands on you, both hands. He's a combination fighter, gets off balance in doing that. Um, but a high volume fighter, you always like that from a betting perspective. At least you know when the scorecards are getting read, he's not going to be a low volume fighter or a guy who's not busy, right? So he will be busy for all three rounds of this fight. Um, very good gym. So good teammates, good training partners. In 17 total Bellator fights, he's 12 and 5. So another positive, right? Um in his most notable fights, though, he tends to come up a little short. So, for example, he fought Patricia Pipple twice. He lost both times. And so that's like the cusp of his his pinnacle, right? That's where he kind of reaches his, you know, his peak. In the first fight against Pipple, he gets kind of beat up pretty bad for five rounds. He does last five rounds, which is impressive. But his face took a beating, a lot of swelling. Um, it, again, testament to his durability, his chin. The second fight, he ends up getting choked out, um, some kind of a guillotine choke there by Pitbull. So it's the only time he got to finish was actually in that fight against Pitbull. So he only finished one time in his career, which, again, goes to his durability. Um, his most notable wins are against Pineda and Weichel. Um, so kind of, again, shows you, like, his peak. The big cons for him is he's on a two-fight losing streak. His takedown defense is a, a major issue. And here he's fighting a guy, Jeremy Kennedy, who is not an elite, elite wrestler by any means, but his he's on a one-track game plan for for jeremy kennedy he can box a tiny bit not a great boxer um, not a great striker overall not a great kicker but his wrestling game is is where he really wants to hang his hat and here you've got a guy in sanchez in his last fight in particular he could not stay off the mat um he lost that fight because he couldn't get off and he couldn't get off the mat so once he got taken down he couldn't get up um and then i guess one more con with sanchez and I, it's a reminder or a repeat of earlier is he tends to have a little bit of an issue with higher level opponents I don't think Jeremy Kennedy is an elite guy by any means, but he is three. He's three and one in the UFC. Um, he was in the UFC a while back, um, so he did well in the UFC. And the only loss he had was against Volkanovski. Um, so kind of shows you Jeremy Kennedy's got decent, you know, pedigree. Um, he's an average wrestler, but again, I think an average wrestler can give Sanchez a hard time. And if he gets Sanchez to the ground on his on his back, Sanchez has showed in recent fights he can't get up. Um, for Jeremy Kennedy, just like Sanchez, really good training partners, good gym. Um, in terms of the cons here for Kennedy, and this could be the path to victory for Sanchez, Jeremy Kennedy has poor head movement, okay? So in his most recent fights, he's taking two, three punch combinations where at least one of those punches maybe should land, but he's not moving his head. Moves it back a little bit, doesn't do great side-to-side -side head movement. As the fight goes on, it makes sense to conclude that that head movement gets even slower. It reduces even to a point where there's just no head movement at all. And so some of his recent fights, you're watching him get picked apart. Like in the Borax fight, he gets picked apart by a jab. It's just a simple jab. Um, it's, 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 it's sharp, it was fast, and Borax is a decent fighter. 
But it just, it picked him apart. He became bloodied up by a jab, just a simple jab. And he didn't make adjustments, didn't have good head movement. Now, he attempted a lot of takedowns in that fight against Adam Borax. Um, watch that, that fight. The link's in the description there. He could not get the dude down. And it was bad because over the course of three rounds, you see he kept trying again and again and again and couldn't get him taken down. So it, again, shows you that his wrestling ability for Kennedy, it's not elite. You know, he started training MMA back at like 13 years old with some Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Didn't have like a wrestling background per se. You know, he's from Canada. So he's not like a North American, you know, high school, you know, former state champion wrestler from like Pennsylvania or something. So, you know, his wrestling is again limited. Um, he's not very fast on the feet. He's a one punch type of fighter. Um, one kick at a time, one punch at a time. He tends to have slower hands and his opponent tends to be at a speed disadvantage. Um, he's also coming off of a loss himself. And I also want to point out his grappling loss. Okay. It wasn't an MMA loss, but if you look at his topology here, he's got a loss here this past summer um, in a mixed, mar in a, I'm sorry, in a submission um, tournament. Okay. He loses against a guy named Edwin Najmi. And look, Edwin Najmi is a decent um, MMA or, or mixed martial artist, you know, grappler. Um, that fight goes to overtime. If you watch the film in this fight, um, Kennedy survives, you know, he does survive for whatever the entire, you know, normal, uh, standard regulation time. Then it goes to overtime. This guy, Najimi, Najimi is, is not an amazing world-class submission artist. He had been on a losing streak himself. When it went to overtime, you just see right there how Kennedy, he starts off in the back position, in the position of dominance. And he has back position on this guy and can't do anything with it. It goes to the second second part of the overtime. The other guy has back position. He finishes Jeremy Kennedy with ease within the first like 20 seconds of that overtime. And it just shows you Jeremy Kennedy is limited in his submission game. Um, he's limited in his wrestling game. Um, so you can't say, oh, for sure, he's going to do that. He's going to beat Sanchez points-wise. If Sanchez can keep the fight predominantly on the feet, he's going to be throwing more, landing more. It'll be just enough on the scorecards. He wins this fight two rounds to one, three rounds to zero. Um, but if Kennedy gets the fight to the ground at any point in early part of round one, early part of round two, early part of round three, he will have position control time and most likely will win those rounds based on that. Um, Kennedy has a decent chin. Okay. So he could take a few punches and Sanchez, though he's a, he's a, he's a high volume boxer, his, uh, his striking power, you know, his finishing power. It's not really there. And you see that in some of the recent fights. Both these guys have like one finish in their last five fights. So not a very high finish rate. Um, you compare their cardio, I, I think they're, they're they're pretty similar. Look, Sanchez has been five rounds with, with Patricio Pitbull. And for all five rounds, even when he was getting beat up, he showed high motor, high volume. Um, for Kennedy, same thing. Even though he lost his most recent fight here with Adam Borax, um, he did show good cardio in the last rounds of that fight. Um, so um, I did like that as well. Boxing advantage to Sanchez. Jeremy Kennedy's a slow boxer, again, one punch at a time, um, doesn't have good head movement. Um, there's a significant grappling advantage there for Kennedy, though, because it's not that Kennedy's an amazing grappler. It's, again, it's more the defic deficiencies of Sanchez. So the long and short of it is I like Kennedy win the fight. At plus 185 currently, that's uh, it's obviously good. Um, I hope it stays plus money. I see why people like Sanchez. Um, Sanchez reminds me of Adrian Yanez a little bit where he'll take a few punches. Um, he's got really high volume, um, you know, decent boxing technique when he's on balance. Um, the difference is he doesn't have the power that Yanez has. And the also difference is that Yanez does not tend to get himself as off balance um, as someone like Emmanuel Sanchez. So, you know, with Sanchez, um, I don't want to, you know, underestimate him. Um, I don't want to, you know, look, he's lost to guys like, you know, Pitbull, I mean, Pitbull, you know, so he's not losing to bad fighters. He tends to lose against guys that are higher level. 
Um, he's got a decent Bellator record, you know, um, you know, has what 26 total fights. He's 20 and six. He's only 31, um, trains at Rufus sport. There's a lot of boxes you can check. Um, he's Mexican heritage, grew up as an immigrant with an immigrant family. Um, he didn't wrestle in high school either. Um, but he did start, you know, start mixed martial arts, um, in high school. So we got the Canadian here versus the Mexican. Uh, I got to tell you, I I'm open to any conversation about why you like Sanchez, um, or any conversation that agrees with me on Kennedy. There's a lot of pros and cons with both these fighters. This, again, to me, could be the fight of the night, could be the fight that actually is the closest where both guys are going toe-to-toe. Um, they both tend to bleed a little bit. So if it becomes like a toe-to-toe fight where they start really landing shots on each other, you can expect Sanchez to swell up a little bit and get cut. You can expect Kennedy to start bleeding from the nose. Um, this, just like I said, has all the makings of a very good fight. No matter which fight, no matter which fighter you're on, I wouldn't put too much money here because it's going to be close. It's probably going to score cards. Um, if you like a prop, I like decision prop for Kennedy or for Sanchez, and then maybe more specifically a split decision prop. This is going to be a tight fight. If Sanchez wins, I want to just make sure I'm doubling down on how this path to victory works. It's going to be the volume. It's going to be him landing more strikes on Kennedy. It's going to be him defending enough of the takedowns. It's going to be the fight being on the feet. If Kennedy wins, it's because the fight gets to the ground just enough position points and he probably still even loses his striking numbers which will be interesting because that's where the split decision win comes into play so kennedy gets position control time gets the takedowns but it's not busy on the ground and when on the feet sanchez lands more more strikes and so you're going to have that situation where you can see how two judges could give it to sanchez or two can give it to kennedy and so on and so on so that's the breakdown guys good luck with this fight Okay, so the main event for Bellator 272 features a title bout in the Bantamweight division between the American Sergio Pettis and the Japanese fighter Kyoji Haraguchi. Haraguchi's 31 years old. He's 29-3 and three overall, 4-1 in his last five fights. He's training out of Coconut Creek, Florida at American Top Team, so an excellent gym, great training partners. He's 5'5 five five in height with a 66-inch reach. As for Sergio Pettis, who goes by the Phenom, he's 21-5 overall. You, of course, know he's the brother of Anthony Pettis, and he's a former UFC veteran himself. He's 21-5 overall, 4-1 in his last five fights. He's out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He's from Wisconsin, so he's training out of Rufus Sport Academy, which is also there in Milwaukee. He's 28 years old, 5'6 in height with a 69-inch reach. So height-wise, these guys are very similar. Reach-wise, Pettis will have a 3-inch reach advantage. According to Tapology, surprising to me, Horiguchi is getting 70% of the votes and Pettis is getting 30% of the votes. I would just imagine that Pettis is just a well-known name, um, has been fighting in the States a little bit more often the last few years than Horiguchi. Um but Horiguchi does have an interesting past. We're going to talk here about him first. Looking at his topology, just reel it way back. You know, go back to like 2013, 14, around there. Between 2013 and 2016, this guy went 7-1 in the UFC. Yeah, I'm going to repeat that. So 7-1 in the UFC from 2013 to 2016. Actually wins his last three UFC fights before, I guess, getting let go. I didn't look into why he got let go or why he moved on, but he ends up signing with uh, Ryzen in 2017. Ryzen's a decent promotion, right? So he rips off an 11-2 record in Ryzen. Had one prior Bellator fight before this Bellator fight where he won that fight against Caldwell. So like over a 91% like winning percentage in Ryzen, Bellator, and UFC with a total of 21 fights. So when you look at that alone, you're like, okay, <laughs> the dude can fight. Um, he's, he's obviously a decent uh, level fighter. Now, on the flip side, watch the three prior fights that we put the links for the description. All right, that's two fights against Kai um asakura where they fought 2019 2020 it was back to back he lost the first one got a rematch eventually his first round loss got a first round tko himself 
And then look at the prior fight against um, Darian Caldwell, which was a Bellator fight. So he's that he's one fight in Bellator, was one to know. And one thing's going to pop out to you about these three fights. They're all in a boxing ring. So right off the bat, I was like, <clears throat> wait a second, time out. He hasn't been fighting in a cage. He hasn't fought in a cage in a while. And when you see Bellator on, the, on his tapology, you assume like, oh, that must have been in a, in a cage. No, Bellator 222 against Darian Caldwell in 2019, that was in a boxing ring. And so, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that fighting in a ring with ropes versus fighting in an octagon is a completely different situation. And I would actually encourage you, look at the Darian Caldwell fight. Watch first round. Watch the first round. Darian Caldwell is actually in top position on the ground. Um, and he gets his arm tangled, not just in the ropes that are part of the boxing ring ropes. There's like ropes in between those ropes. <laughs> okay. Freaking so many ropes. It's like a damn sailboat. So he gets his arm tangled up in there. The referee has to come over and like pause the action, uh, untangle him. You got another guy outside the cage, like a coach or someone. He's untangling. And Darian Caldwell's got his arm really legit, legit tangled. Like they have to like stop all the action. And it just reminds you, like, this is completely not the same thing. This is not, it's like playing a football game on a baseball field with, with, with baseball lines. This is a different deal. It's a different situation. For me, that's a huge red flag here. If you're on the side of Kyoji Haraguchi, you got to acknowledge the fact that the guy has not been fighting in a cage and also has not been nearly as active. So since 2019, he's fought four total fights, okay? He fought three times in 2019, fought once in 2020, has not fought this year. Pettis, a unique little stat about him is he's fought a good deal of fights over his career, was a pro 2011. So 10 years now he's been a pro. Over that 10-year career, he's averaging just under three fights a year. So one of the most active guys in UFC or Bellator or any any, any promotion. So um, here's a, a, a here's a guy, I'm sorry, in, in um, Kyoji Haraguchi, who, again, activity has been a little bit of an issue. So I'm kind of raising the flags. These are the flags that to me became of concern. Um, and I should also mention the money line is astounding to me. So Haraguchi is a minus 185 favorite of the money line. This is early. So I would imagine once people start tapping into this, Pettis is a popular you know, fighter here, especially stateside. I imagine this goes to a pick if not even a slight favorite for Pettis. So if you if you do like Pettis, the way I like Pettis, as soon as it comes out on DraftKings, I hope it's a, I hope it's plus money, any plus money, plus 105, plus 110, plus 155, which right now is what it's showing. So any of those numbers would be good. Um, so yeah, yeah. For, for Hataguchi, another red flag for me. How does he fight? Look at his last two fights, Kaya, Kaya Sakura. He loses 2019 first round, gets knocked out. Any fighter can get knocked out, okay? The issue is he gets hurt and doesn't show good recovery, you know, ability. Not recovery like, oh, he sh didn't shake it off fast enough. Like, don't, couldn't grapple, couldn't slow the fight down, couldn't uh, find another way for, for him to basically find a method to recovery, find a way to catch his breath, find a way to shake it off. So just kept kind of swinging. Um, he's very off balance. He's a leaner. Like, he comes in leaning, heavy strikes, overhand. His head's wide open. He's open for counter strikes. Um, so not a clean boxer, not good boxing technique, ends up throwing himself off balance, could be very open to counter punches. That's kind of what happened to him against Kaya Sakura in 2019, gets finished in the first round, comes back 2020, wins the rematch. So that's nice. He avenges that, you know, that prior loss. Um, that fighter though, Kaya Sakura is not a guy who's fought anything outside of Ryzen, not a Bellator level fighter, not a UFC level fighter. So not a wonderful loss. Um, so now let's talk a little bit about Pettis. Obviously, he's the brother of Anthony Pettis. I do a little background on Sergio Pettis. He didn't wrestle in high school. I was surprised. I'm like, you no, know, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that area of the country, probably got some decent wrestling. But 
anyway, gets into MMA at some point as a teenager. Um, unfortunately, a, a really terrible part of, of his family's past is that his father was killed in like a home robbery. He was at a friend's house. His father was stabbed and killed. And him and his brother were both very young at the time. So they kind of grew up a little bit fatherless. Their mom had to, you know, obviously do double duty. She was very emotionally hurt about, over it. But it's a, it's a horrible part of the past for the Pettis brothers. Didn't know that. But um, in any case, he finds Rufus Sport as a teenager, um, gets into the UFC. And when I'm looking at his topology, something that popped up to me. In 2017, not that long ago, four years ago, he beat Brendan Moreno by decision. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, my gosh, the two different paths, right? He's now Bellator champion, doing well, um, hoping to defend his belt here in this fight. And then you got Brandon Moreno, who's like you know, UFC champion. So anyway, he went 10 and 5 in the UFC. Um, some more facts here about um, Pettis. So decent, you know, decent fights. Um, he lost against Cejudo, Rob Font, Benoit, um, and Caceres. All those guys are current UFC fighters. So even when he did lose, it was against decent level opponents, okay? Um my big knock on Pettis, let me get it out the way. He's got like two finishes in his entire fight career. Okay. Yeah, two. Um, he's been fighting for a while. He's got 26 total fights. So he's not a finisher. Um, doesn't have a lot of power and power in his hands. I think that's partially because of the way he fights. He's a volume fighter, volume boxer. He commands the center of the cage. Um, great counter puncher and great counter kicker. So he can counter you with leg kicks or counter you with body kicks. Um, nice combinations. Um, but again, lacks finishing power. Has like one finish in the last 12 fights. Um, uh, in his defense, that's UFC and Bellator combined. No other level promotions other than Bellator UFC in the last 12 fights. But again, even within that, he's had a few fights where you look at those opponents and you're like, well, this should be a guy. Like, for example, Ricky Bandejas. He fought Ricky Bandejas in 2020, July 2020. So about a little, little over a year and a half ago, Bellator 242. And Bandejas is like, that's an okay level guy. He's not a championship level guy, not a UFC level guy. And he goes to decision and wins the fight. Um, and I got to point that out. He's winning by decision. That's his only path to victory is a judge's scorecards. At some point, he could be in a close fight, even a fight that maybe he wins. And we know how that goes. The judges could see something different. They could have it just different on the scorecards. Whatever the public sees, you know, that's not what they see. Um, so if his only path to victory is on the scorecards, and it probably goes a distance here as long as our, our, our boy here, Kyoji Haraguchi's got the cardio to go five rounds, which I don't know, we'll talk more about that. But if it goes a distance, it's again, he's, you know, he's playing with fire there, okay? Um, so let's talk more about that. Kyoji Haraguchi has not fought in a cage, has not been to a five-round fight. Could this fight get to round four and five and Kyoji loses by just exhaustion? So basically, he's not necessarily super hurt or stunned. He just covers up and Pettis finishes him off because Pettis has been in some five-round fights recently. He went five rounds against Archuleta to win the, the fight by decision back in uh, May of this year. Um, so he can go five rounds. He's fresh. His fighting style lends towards that. Doesn't overstrike. Doesn't overlean. Doesn't put you know too much into his strikes. Counterpuncher stays unbalanced. Doesn't do a lot of wrestling, but he can defend himself. Can get up off the ground. That's one thing about Kyoji. You could say, oh, maybe he could wrestle Pettis. Nah, not going to be successful doing that. Pettis is a good defensive grappler. He's not a wrestler himself, but this fight will be on the feet. That's where Kyoji will want it. Kyoji's going to come leaning in heavy with some, you know, heavy off-balance strikes. Pettis will counter-strike, counter-strike, counter-strike. The money line at plus money here for Pettis is kind of a steal. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a steal. If you can get plus money on Pettis here early on or anywhere even just near pick a money, um, when I broke this down before the money line came out, I'm going to be dirt honest with you here. Just to be honest. I had Pettis like around a minus 300 and I thought for two reasons. I thought, I think he's the better fighter here. I think he wins by decision over five rounds. If he doesn't just simply outlast or exhaust Kyoji Horoguchi. 
But the other issue for me is like, you know, you're talking about a situation where he's a he's a stateside fighter. He's an American fighter. He's a well-known fighter. He's a Pettis brother. So I thought those factors would have him like minus 250 on the opening line, minus 300. So the fact that this is plus money you're picking, I guess I have no idea what I'm talking about. I couldn't make those numbers in Vegas, right? Um, now, with that said, I'm, I'm very confident on Pettis here. Pettis has shown to be very durable. Has he been finished? Has he been stunned? Yes. But he's he's very durable fighter. Most of his fights go to decision. I think he's been a lot more active over his career. You know, averaging just under three fights. You know, over over a, each under each three fights a year, um, as opposed to Kyoji Haraguchi, who hasn't fought in over a year, um, has coming into a fight where he hasn't fought this level of competition in a while. Has been in rising, yes, had a nice UFC record. But the reality is, you got Pettis fighting in the UFC and in Bellator over the last, you know, let's say four or five years, where if you got a guy like, you know, Kyoto Haraguchi has been fighting in Ryzen. So I think there's a big difference here in terms of opponents they've been facing against. In terms of their straight-up comparisons, experience-wise, I pretty much similar. IQ-wise, similar, pretty smart fighters. Cardio-wise, I give an edge there to Pettis. Again, he's been in some five-round fights recently, and Kyoji has not. As for finishing ability, I give an edge there to Kyoji. He has shown the ability to get some submissions, the ability to get some, you know, heavy... He's got heavy, he's got heavy hands. I'll put it that way. He's got heavy hands. He can land some heavy shots at times. And so, could he hurt Pettis here? <sighs> yeah, I just, you know, I think Pettis, again, pretty cerebral fighter, really good boxing defense, doesn't get off balance. Um, as for boxing again... Big advantage for Pettis. Better technique, better volume, better counter punches, uh, better you know, better combinations. Kyoji does have harder hands, but it's going to be far and few that when he'll land. For grappling, I also give an edge to Pettis because I feel like Pettis, who's not an ultimate wrestler by any means, doesn't have a wrestling background, but his defensive grappling, I believe, is better than Kyoji. And Kyoji gets sloppy when he wrestles, opens, up to, opens himself up to a lot of stuff. Could Pettis wear Kyoji out and get a submission win? I do have I do have this in my mind. I'm like, if that prop bet's available, Pettis by submission. It's not because Pettis is a great finisher. We talked about that. It's not because he's got great grappling or submission or BJJ skills. It's that could he just simply wear down Kyoji? In round four and five, Kyoji's going to be like, I think, pretty tired. He's not going to have that power in his hands. So that will sort of diminish. He's not going to be able to wrestle or out grapple Pettis. I can see two different ways that Pettis could finish the fight, but both by exhaustion, whether he just finishes him with a TKO barrage of punches or whether he submits Kyoji. Either way here, I think Pettis gets this fight. I think uh, he keeps his belt here. Um, it's going to be a nice defense of his title. Um, and again, here's a guy who hasn't even been fighting in cages here for a while. So, you know, it's a big factor to me. The three-inch reach disadvantage there for Kyoji is also going to be a factor. He likes to lean in as it is to try to make up for that disadvantage and reach. And here you got Pettis going to be the counter strike, a lot of volume. So Pettis is going to win this fight most likely by decision. That's his normal path to victory, which is dangerous again. But I think he keeps his belt. And if you're following the traditional rules of boxing or mixed martial arts or fighting, like the champion should have to get like knocked down and hurt or like more or less knocked out, right? To lose their belt. He is the current champion. So this time around, he's defending the belt. If it goes to decision and it's close, he should get the rub. He should get the benefit of the doubt, right? But as we just talked about, you know, this is a fighter who's been getting decision wins his whole career, more or less. At some point, does he get bitten in the ass? Does, is this the fight where he just, one judge just just or two judges just don't see it a certain way and he ends up on the wrong side of his split decision? It's, it's too early to tell. We're going to see here. Um, anyway, I like Pettis to win the fight. Um, if you're on Kyoji and you like Kyoji to win the fight, leave some comments. Let me know. And as usual, we've got five links here in the description for this fight. So there's three fight links there for Kyoji for three prior fights on him. We've got two links there for Sergio Pettis. 
take a look yourself. If you're betting on this fight, I always encourage people to watch film of these fighters, watch their prior fights, make your own determinations. We like Pettis to win the fight, and at plus money, I think it's a no-brainer. And that brings us to the end of the episode. We appreciate you joining us today for this breakdown of Bellator 272, Pettis versus Horiguchi. I'm going to give you a quick summary of our picks to win. Here we go, starting with the main card. Sergio Pettis, Jeremy Kennedy, J.J. Wilson, Johnny Eblen. In the prelim card, we like Hornell Lugo, Josh Hill, Vinicius De Jesus, Mike Hamill, Alexander Shibley, Kai Kamaka III, Kyle Kruchmer, and Dan Moret. So those are our favorite picks to win. Our picks that we're most confident with, which we might have mentioned throughout this breakdown, we like J.J. Wilson on the main card over Alfie Davis. I'm most confident in him winning his fight. I know Johnny Eblen is like a minus 1,500. He probably wins that fight. But something about Colin Huck, buddy, scares me a little bit. And that money line definitely scares me. I know that doesn't make any sense. Um, but just strictly from a confidence standpoint, I think J.J. Wilson is a tremendous fighter with a bright future. I think he wins his fight over Alfie Davis. I'm very confident in that pick. As for the prelim card, I've got three that I like a lot. I like Hornell Lugo beating Tommy Espinosa, Kai Kamaka III beating John De Jesus, and Dan Moret opening the fight card up with a win over Ricardo Sexis. So... There's our breakdown for Bellator 272. Now, I'm not going to discuss the props in detail here or any parlays at the end of the, end of the show here. I'm going to do a little bit of a different little clip, um, another video where we break down some parlay angles here for this card. We'll put that into our prop show, which we call Pick Your Poison. So join us for that later on in the week. Thanks again for stopping by. Uh, click and subscribe if you're not already subscribed. Like and share and comment, um, all that good stuff. We're not selling anything here, just providing information about mixed martial arts. Thanks for joining us. Have a wonderful night. If you're eating turkey tonight and you're watching this video, hooray for you because I had a lot of great turkey tonight. Actually, I'm lying. I had ham. I did not eat turkey tonight. I'm not a big turkey guy. But anyway, I enjoyed some stuffing and mashed potatoes and what sweet potatoes, uh, green bean casserole, um, biscuits and gravy. Yeah, all that good stuff. So if you're eating that tonight or maybe last night or tomorrow or whenever you're watching this, maybe you're having leftovers. Enjoy. Thanks for joining us. And best of luck on this card, guys. Take care.